Hi, everybody. I'd like you to calm down. It's right at nine, and I'd like to get us started in just a minute. All right. First uh, thing on our agenda is presentation of colors in the flag flit. If everybody would rise, we have um, a Girl Scout bringing up our flag. Is Abby Trosper? Yay! Here, Abby, if you want to ask him to say the pledge. Please join me in signing the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic which is found one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Thank you so much, Abby. Thanks, Abby. And Girl Scouts from Coos Bay. Yay. And um, our next item is an invocation by Pastor Dennis Reynolds. Use this mic or? Yeah, that's why. I've got one. Okay. Uh, please be seated. Um, as we move into you know, a century time, a time to be fully present here in this time with this gathered community. Um, my name is Dennis Reynolds. Um, I use the pronouns he, him. I'm a gray hair. Um, older man with a great goatee and this morning I'm wearing a blue shirt and a, a blue Guatemalan fabric clerical stool. Um, I am a affiliated community minister of currently affiliated with the Unitarian Universal Church here in Eugene. I'm having served churches in Northern California. Yes, did it not delete for your end? Before we said did I forget to delete it? Um, this morning, I just want to thank you, first of all, for the invitation to offer an invitation to this community again. Um, I think you folks are amazing in terms of the work you do. I've done advocacy work myself in a variety of contexts. Um, and I come together with you this morning in a time of transition, a time of change for many of us. I mean, beyond one thing, the last time I offered an invitation virtually, and we are increasingly gathering more and more in communities live and in person as the pandemic um, begins to wane. It's also a time of change in terms of the seasons, this fall change. Um, this morning is one of those days that as I describe it, have a hard time deciding what kind of day they're going to be. Where it begins foggy and cool, and the forecast says it'll be in the 80s by the time we come into the afternoon. Who knew we have the 80s in October? <laughs> and it's also a time of change. What also is happening outside is a health quality error. Who knew that fall season would become our annual season of fires and often smoke? Well, it is a time of change. And not only at the seasons, but within our larger culture, it's been a challenging time. In addition to pandemic-related challenges, the divisiveness, both cultural and political, and our needs to increase. Now we have that smoke and fires and unusually hot weather in the fall. This season of fall 
the time of changing temperatures may it be a time of temperatures in our life in the Celtic and Hebrew tradition this season is the season of the new year it's a time I'd like to start this morning with a reading from the Hebrew Bible, not as translated in the Old Testament version of the King James Bible. Many of us know this particular reading from a folk song version written by Pete Sager. It's Ecclesiastics 3. Do everything there is a and a time to every person, purpose under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. Time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep, time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and time to gather stones together. Time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. Time to give and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to run and a time to throw. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love, a time to hate. A time of war and a time of peace. I invite you now into a spirit of prayer and contemplation. Dear God, spirit of life and love called by many names and sometimes held most deeply in profound silence. We are in this, in this time, in this meeting, and this gathering of meeting and working together with the strength to do the work that is before this body. For patience with the process and with each other. For remembering the deep bonds of affection and shared intention that binds all at one. May this be a time for planting, a time for healing, a time for laughing, and perhaps some weeping and some dancing. A time to bind people together and a shared intention, a time for listening deeply, and a time for all to speak and to be heard. Let this be a time for love and for peace. In the name of what each person gathered here names is holy, we give thanks for the work of those who have come before as we continue to build for those who will follow in the holy work that's driving towards a more inclusive and loving world for all. Amen. 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 Thank you so much, Pastor Reynolds. Next, we're going to have a welcome to Springfield by Springfield Mayor Sean Van Gordon. Hopefully, I got your name pronounced correctly. <laughs> As usual, uh, you know, uh, being, being a mayor requires great staff support from people to make sure they're in the right space. Um, I'm Mayor Sean Van Gordon, the mayor of Springfield. It is really my pleasure to welcome you to the city of Springfield for, uh, for your annual convention. Um, a lot of times where, where you're located, 
gets sort of mixed up into this sort of broader Eugene metropolitan area. So between I-5, everything east of the freeway is actually the city of Springfield. So you're sitting in sitting in the sitting in the city of Springfield right now. Um, I, I want to talk about a couple a couple of, of quick things and, and share a couple of stories. Well, since you're going to be our guest this weekend, and we're really happy to have you here. Right now, City Springfield really started out as a lumber town, um, you know, and that went through most of mo most of our our time as a city. And right now, over the last 20 years, we've seen urbanization, we've seen growth of hotels, the tourism and major industry. You're sitting next to one of the biggest regional hospitals in, in, uh, in Southern Oregon, and really the diversification of that economy, and really the growth. Like we we kind of call it in City Hall, we move from a small town to a small city. Um, and that allows us to bring conventions in. It allows us to have the hotels that are required to ask people to come and be invited into this area. And we're one of those cities that is really quietly good at this. Um, it is a, it is an absolutely gorgeous area with a lot of play, great places to eat. The best the best restaurants in in uh, Lane County really are in Springfield. So if I, <laughs> so if I may want to ask you if. Um, if you just start at the first restaurant you find and keep eating until you can get into the city and turn around and come back up, <laughs> you, I promise you, you will be fine. <laughs> There's a ton of food carts out there. You cannot, um, you cannot go wrong. But I think that I, I think what got us this far was really pulling back, talking to constituents, really looking at all the different groups that we have in the city. Because simply asking as a, as a community, what, what do you need to be successful? A lot of times we talk about um, a concept called the community of opportunity. And when you, in Springfield, you'll find people just tell a story of like, we loved this place, we didn't even know it existed yet. And we sort of showed up and we were welcomed with open arms. And then you have people that, were, that would stand behind us. So a few years ago, we started talking about this community of opportunity idea. That really we are a community of choice and we want people to choose to visit here. We want people to choose to come here and feel welcome and knowing that like the city, your neighbors are really behind you as you sort of chase your dreams and chase your uh, chase your goals. So I know as you go through a business meeting the next couple of days, um, I know you guys have a lot of work to do. I would encourage you to get, you know, get out, you know, um, and just be around Springfield a little bit more and, and enjoy the and enjoy the surroundings. I wish you luck. Um, I know that you know as you do this, know that Springfield's behind you, right? There's a lot of issues that you you, you guys are in the back room and know that, that at City Hall, you know, we're welcome to feedback, we're welcome to being supportive in any way we can. And then finally, I'm going to end with a story since we have a colleague of mine here, uh, I'd like to be here. Um, Lakeside. Sorry. <laughs> See, Lakeside on the coast, but yeah. you in Central Oregon. Thank you for correcting that. I'm still pretty new at being mayor, so I'm still meeting a few folks. Um, mayors are one of the one of the hardest working politicians out there. I don't say that because I'm a mayor, but the, um, when the former mayors from the old used to say to me when I was on council that. You know, you're part of a council, a group of six. You're the council, and there's only the mayor, right? There's only one person that is really the answer for everybody. Um, 
I would just say when you talk about civic affairs, I would just encourage you, like he's a wealth of experience um, about what what is actually you know going on and how to interact with with, with civic governance. Mayors know a ton of stuff and are always a resource and are always willing to share. Um, so it's great to meet you. So welcome, enjoy your time, and I'll get it back to you guys. Thank you so much. Thank you. And, and just for people who may not have heard the reference, it's our own James Edwards is the current Lakeside, Oregon mayor. So that was yay. yay. <laughs> and, and we are fortunate with James also being the past president. He's been very helpful for me in my term and, you know, great resource and a lot of knowledge. So thank you. Um, the next thing on our agenda is the, to approve the agenda. Hey, James, how do I do approval of the agenda? Are we supposed to have a motion and all of that? I mean, we're not in the official. Can we just say it's approved and we're going forward? <laughs> we'll just say the, the agenda is approved as put together because, yeah. All right. Um, the other thing I wanted to just uh, make one quick announcement, and then in a few minutes, Sue will be making some. Just so people know, um, Leonard did announce it last night. I have cancer and have been going through treatments. And so if I disappear in and out today, we have backups. So if, I, if all of a sudden Leonard's the one I'm seeing this morning, that's why. And this afternoon, James is going to be here um, doing this stuff this afternoon. And I'm hoping to make it through the morning and be here for the banquet this evening. So there's my goal. <laughs> so... Um, our next item is roll call of chapters by Cassie. So Cassie, what usually happens is you say the chapter name and then usually the president from that chapter will say how many people are here. Okay, Carol, and do I just pass her this mic? Yeah, go okay. ahead and do that. Leonard, how many do we have? 17? All right, good morning, everyone. I was even born up at 3.30 this morning like I was by the way. So... <laughs> All right, that you make coffee and you work on your board meeting notes from the back of the board. So, all right, so our first chapter is Climate Falls. We have any virtual? Oh, no, we have one. No, we have one virtual. One virtual. Okay. And Metro PDX? 13 physically here and two virtual. So, you want to repeat that, Cassie, so people can hear? So, 13 virtual and. No, 13 physical, two oh, virtual. 13 here. And how many? Two virtual. All right. I'm going to get this down. All right. O-A-A-B-O. I believe it's seven. Seven present? Seven in person. Seven in person. Pioneer? One in person. And one virtual. One in person and one virtual. Rogue Valley? They would be virtual. I know Mona. No, that is the only one. Okay, one. So one virtual. Southwestern. We have 17 in person and two virtual. 17 in person and two virtual. Yay, go coast. Willamette. <laughs> <laughs> yes, present. <laughs> Do you know how many people you have here, John? Okay, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seven in person. In person, yes. And that is all of our chapters. Oh, and we have Marge Byers virtual. Awesome. Yeah, I think she's uh, virtual. One virtual. Okay, good. Yeah. Awesome. 
Thank you. Thank you very much. And I'm going to go ahead and pass the mic back down. See, I should have said this so Sue can make a few quick announcements. Okay, I wanted to make sure everybody knew there is coffee, hot water, and ice water in the room. It is uh, straight back against the wall that we're looking at here from the front. So it's behind most of you. Um, and over in the west corner, closest to the uh, hallway that goes back to the lobby. Um, yeah, Steve will help you. Um, let's see, my other, let's get that. Oh, we, um, we are going to sell 50-50 raffle tickets during break time. Um, if you don't know what a 50-50 raffle is, it is a raffle where we only are uh, using money as our incentive. And uh, if uh, we, however much money we collect, let's hope we say maybe $100, we are going to split the pot with the winner. So the winner gets 15% of that pot and our organization keeps the 50% of the pot. So that could be fun. And uh, we are going to have a door prize, uh, drawing, raffle drawing, not door prize, raffle. We have door prizes too, but I wanted to announce raffle. Um, we, uh, we were unable to really put together a complete basket that uh, Kathy was hoping to do. But we do have two bottles of wine, and we thought we would raffle those off there. Willamette Valley Vineyard, nice wines. I can't remember the flavor, but I will uh, look them up when we bring them. So uh, we'll let you know. And those will also, so the 50 50 and the raffle basket, all tickets will be a dollar or six tickets for five dollars. Um, I wanted to say something else, didn't I? Go ahead. No? What did I tell you, Terry? <laughs> we can have a show of hands for those wanting to go out on the walk. Oh, yes, that was it. That two thing, two more things. Um, Desiree brought a, oh, yes. a really unique rail rider that we received. Um, it was donated, was it to ACB of Oregon from a to Metro PDX from a, a member who passed this year. Um, and it, what is unique about it is it is not a common Perkins trailer. It is a really old trailer, um, but I'm going to let Desiree tell you about that. And my final announcement is that uh, Carrie says we need a show of hands for those people who will be going out on the uh, White Cave Safety Walk Day. So we have two. Sure, we, let's raise hands now. I see five, six, seven. Um, Can I speak to that for just a minute? Yes. Okay. This is Mary. Lee yeah. Let's get a mic to you. And then, um, Steve, if you want to let Mary leave, you have to take the Steve. mic. Yes, right. Steve, other side. Steve, if you grab this microphone, she can keep that one. Okay. You're live. This is Mary Lee Turner, and this is the the walk today is simply an opportunity to celebrate white cane awareness and safety. So it's going to be a at your leisure is, I think it's what, two blocks at the most, is that correct, Jean Marie? Um, it depends, probably. You know, this is not a, this is not a, uh, a track, track and field event, okay? <laughs> and it's an opportunity to celebrate, you know, how that we are, we are proud and in the community, living our lives to the fullest as we travel with our white canes and or dog guides. 
So um, we'd love to have you come. There will be transportation provided, what, from the, from the lobby? Yeah, actually, right at 1.30, we're going to play a little song and let you guys march out and load up. <laughs> and we'll be back before 3, okay? So, yeah, no big deal. It's just going to be a lot of fun. Thank you. Yeah, and I, I will say we have Connie Sims with us. Um, she'll introduce herself in a few minutes, but um, she's going to do a live check-in to the room here, too. So, um, and a live check-in on National ACB's walk. So, uh, that'll be exciting. Um, Desiree. So Desiree was going to mention the Breller. Oh, yeah. Oh, everybody, raise your hand if you're planning to go on the walk, please, so we get an accurate count. And then Stephen, after Desiree's, it'll go. The uh, Mike will need to go to Jean Marie more. Steve, nine. Fifteen. Yay, awesome. Okay, now Desiree. 16, I think you missed me. Oh, okay. Okay, so yeah. the, this Braille writer is kind of awesome. It was only made in between um, 1933 and 1947. So it's old. <laughs> and now watch it. <laughs> and, and the, the short history is, is very. Maybe about 10 ish, and a bullying fact from a faulty memory, so please don't look it up. Um, about 10 ish different railers made throughout the history, but the Perkins became pretty the mainstay after about 1970. But up until then, you know, um, there were many different railers, and this was one of the original ones. So when you go touch it, Please have a clean hand because after here, we're looking for a museum to take it because it is in excellent, excellent condition. Um, there's only one key on there that's a bit sticky, so don't press hard, you know, be gentle, but go have a look because we don't get to see these kind of railers often because what do we have now? Perkins, 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 Perkins. Um, Oh yeah, the first railer was made in the state of Illinois like in 1892. But what I find fascinating is over in Germany, 1899, another railer kind of railer is being made. So, but anyway, if you want more about railers, come find me and I'll tell you because this is just supposed to get like announcement. There you go. Back to the center table. Be gentle. Yeah, and, and the side closest to the bar. Okay, we have one question. Yeah, yeah go yeah. ahead. So, are you not pulling it up or taking it to the museum? Is you said we can touch it? You can touch it, but please, with very clean hands, absolutely get in there and feel it. That's why I brought it, so you can feel it. Go touchy touchy, explore it. It's in its original box, which is wooden. And you're raffling. We're not raffling the railer. It is just here for folks to look at and to go, this is a cool piece of our history. Um, but if Steve's family, if Steve had not made it clear that it was to go to the Metro PDX chapter, who knows where this railer could have ended up? Yeah. So 
With that in mind, we want it to go to a museum so it does not get lost to somewhere. You're, you're not a museum. Thanks for the offer. Oh, oh. <laughs> so, so for those virtually that may not have heard, Monica Hull, I Monica already with one treatment. Um, Monica Butler from the Polk Foundation and Learning Center was the one that was saying me, me, me. <laughs> so, so, when it gets placed anywhere, we'll make sure everybody knows where it goes. Yeah, and a quick description for those of you who are virtual. Um, it looks kind of, it has the shape of a very classic typewriter, like before they were electric. So the carriage sticks out on either side, so they can be kind of in front. It, it's different than your normal, you know, what we know as a Perkins railer. So anyway. Awesome. You've got questions, and Thank Leonard's you. got a little bit of history, and I think Pat's got a little bit of history on railers and so yeah, let's stuff. So yeah, thank you. Thanks, Desiree, and thanks for Metro PDX, and you know the wonderful family that honored their wishes. So next up, we have the dedication of this convention to Joan Hill, and Jean Marie Moore is going to talk about that. Hey, Stephen, can you get her a microphone? Jean-Marie. Jean can you raise your hand, Jean-Marie? I need a Jean-Marie. Oh, okay. Stephen knows who she is. <laughs> <laughs> and it's live, Jean-Marie. <laughs> so this is what happened. Um, I had a Braille copy. Took quite a while to read me and I brailed it, and it is floating around here somewhere. So what's going to happen is I'm going to talk about Joan because I worked with her for six years as the district rep in Klamath Falls, <clears throat> and then Linda has agreed to kindly read what I brailed because it's gone somewhere. Um, yeah. So, <clears throat> like I said, I worked with Joan for six years as the district rep in Klamath Falls. And we had an agreement that I um, would come once a quarter. And we did that for almost all of them. Um, there was one time when there was a blizzard and we couldn't come, but we worked very well uh, together. And we kind of had a, a friendly competition going about who could come to me with more resources. <laughs> She beat me every time. She was an amazing person. And her Luther is going to read what her sister submitted for the angel wall. Is this okay? Volume-wise? Yep. Yep. Okay. Yeah, Joan was quite a woman. I only met her when we were down there for district meetings. But uh, what her sister said is very true. My sister, Joan Hill, who passed on October 30th, 2021, at age 82, was passionate about teaching people to become connected, functional with computer technology. She lived alone, though legally blind, for over 40 years, and was independently able to run her own business and manage her finances, communication, and skills for daily living. 
We also spent many hours on projects for ACP on O is the membership and committee chair, board member, local chapter president, and advocate for people who are blind or low vision. He believed that every person, regardless of limitations, can value and potential. I remember the first state ACB convention that we attended together Tuesday over 20 years ago. Joan loved to be social, help others, and share stories. She found the support of others with vision loss inspiring and a source of encouragement. However, she became frustrated as in those days, only Braille, large print, and audio cassette formats were available to ACP members. Computers were relatively new, and the idea that emails and print documents were very accessible to the screen reader or magnification for those who cannot see was not widely accepted. In fact, there was a robust pushback providing the stylus for minutes via email, as not very many people even cited had access to computers. It changes often unwelcome by those of us who are blind. Some sighted members worried it would not be needed. Joan was adamant to get involved to educate about the potential and benefits of computer technology to all, blind or not. Joan sought to change new technology as a way to help people who are blind gain employment with full independent lives. Where did she get her knowledge and passion for full access through computers? Joan graduated in New York City from a specialized math and science high school in the 1950s. The women in mathematics were rare. Were rare. She completed a master's in computer science and mathematics teaching license at Oregon State University after being widowed at age 41 and raising her family. She was a teacher of computer skills for fully sighted students in a private school at Klamath Falls in those days. Even sighted people were struggling to learn to use computer tech. Don't love to use humor and play to get folks past their anxiety. She also geeked out in all things technology. Her amazing capacity for memorization, love for finding minute errors in computer programming code, prompted her to read user manuals in their entirety. For, for fun. <laughs> When she suddenly lost all her vision after many years of restricted vision field of view from retinitis pigmentosa, she attended the Oregon Commission for the Blind Career and Orientation Center for about six months in 1993. She learned Braille and how to access computers with speech along with skills of daily living. She learned to get around with the white king. She also worked with two guide dogs. She began a business as a computer teacher of the blind and other disabilities for several state agencies. Her skills and passion for accurate detail was apparent in her volunteer work on ACBO, bylaw changes and membership database lists. She was connected to many resources of information about many topics, including blindness. You got jobs, open book, magic, and Zoom text on a PhD. She also loved her Victor Reader stream and wore out her Braille effects note taker. To hear better, she used Bonac hearing aids with a microphone unit called a Roger Pin. In the large room, she used an FM assistive hearing device called ComTech. 
Wherever we travel together, the dogs would let us know when some unit was beeping a low battery alarm. There was a lot of tech to learn to keep us functional. Joan loved her family, friends, church, gardening, especially roses, football, chocolate, and dogs. <laughs> he traveled frequently by plane, many ACP conventions, FFP vision conferences, and family gatherings. Her tenacity and strong will to live despite blindness and significant hearing loss was apparent as she valiantly fought cancer for many years. Joan had the ability to make complex tasks simpler and could adapt her teaching to fit the person's needs. No puzzle was too hard. Enjoy was not optional. And Teresa added a note to this. Joan will be deeply missed by many people. Hey, thank you. So I just want to say that um, anyone finds the Braille copy, but this was written by Deb Marina, her sister. And um, if anyone finds the Braille copy, oh my God. <laughs> well, good. No, thank you, Booker. Um, you did a great job. I really appreciate your help. Yay. Where did that happen? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where front desk. I said I left my braille on the computer table, and they're like, well, it's not here. <laughs> anyway, I really I'm so happy that this convention is dedicated to her. She was just an amazing person. Thank you. Thank you, Jamie. And I would like to say, I think Darian, Teresa, and I have a whole new appreciation for all of the work for many years Joan did with the AMMS database for our membership. Yeah. <laughs> it is, it is. She was amazing and kept all the records straight and it is sure the challenge. So um, she is very well missed. And I always look forward to seeing Joan at conventions and chatting with her. So thank you for that um, memorial. Thank you. So next thing on the agenda is recognition of the fun squad. So the fun squad is our convention committee. Did we do okay so far, guys? So, so, <laughs> so uh, Sue Schwab and I were kind of co-chairs, I would say, um, and we had Cassie Trosper on there, Teresa Christian, Desiree Christian for a while, and then she decided that it was, we were getting whatever, crazy, who knows. Tyann <laughs> 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 Wilmoth was on there, Jean Marie Moore. Um, I think that was, oh, Michael Babcock, we had to recruit him because our he's our techie guy. <laughs> Teresa Christian, did I mention your name already? Okay. Yeah, and at the end, in August, um, after my cancer diagnosis, we incorporated Leonard in there so he would be prepared to take over this weekend. So, so yeah, it's been great um, working with everybody on this team and you know, afterwards, if you have some good constructive things that we could have done better or, you know, just want to say, hey, great job, feel free to email us. That'd be great. Or reach out to any of us. So thank you. Um, another quick announcement. Those who leave today. So the name tags we have, we keep and recycle. So if you do leave today and have a name tag, if you can just leave it on your table, they'll be collected. And most of us need those tomorrow to vote, because it'll say if you're a voting member on your name tag, so be sure to wear your name tags. It does help the sighted people that are trying to assist us 
during the convention too. So next up is introduction of our ACB national representative. So it has been my great joy to work with Connie Sims the last year and a half. Um, I reached out to Dan Spoon, our national president, and said, hey, I might want to get involved in national committees. Yeah, that was crazy. Um, <laughs> I never thought of awards. Um, and he had Connie and I co-chair the awards committee, which was such a blast last year. So she, she's now one of my good friends. And um, she's from South Dakota, her first time in Oregon, yay. <laughs> And so I'm going to go ahead and let her tell you a few things about yourself, and then she will be chatting with us at our banquet. Thank you. Thanks, Carrie. Um, and thank you for having me here. It's wonderful. It's, it is my first time here in Oregon. So, um, in Oregon. So, when Dan called me last year and asked, um, told me that Carrie had reached out to him and said, you know, it was my first year on the board. I had um, a one-year term and I had um, replaced Katie Frederick when she went to the BOP and said, would you be interested in co-chairing the awards committee with Carrie? And I'm like, yeah, I can probably do that. You know, I, I really don't know Carrie that well, except for a little bit of presidency, you know, and they call like Carrie, so yeah, I do that. So yeah, it's been a wonderful friendship. Um, we have a this is a small committee, but we have so much fun. Um, so I really enjoy having a good time. So I am really so I got reelected this year or got elected for my first full term. So um, I'm on board of directors for the ACB, um, co-chair as we know as we've said. To the awards committee. I'm on, I don't even know if I even remember all of them, but I'm on um, the voting task force. As a lot of you guys probably have heard me, I'm an outreach and communication specialist. So I put together all of the um, communication and everyone gives me a bad time with the cheat sheets, which now kind of the booklet of the way we need to do our voting and procedures. And I am on the Get Up and Get Moving campaign that we talked about a little bit earlier, and I am co-chair of the advocacy subcommittee on that. And um, we will be doing, they're doing an event today, East to West, that um, is going to be broadcast from 4 to 7 Eastern time. So we'll check in with them in the box. So, um, and it'll be fun. I am on the transportation committee, that's kind of how I got involved in the national level. And I'm on the history archive committee, um, the pedestrian handbook committee. Um, what else did I tell you, Carrie? I already remember. I'm too <laughs> way too many. Um, someone said that I'm kind of an overachiever, so I'm on um, a bunch of steering committees. Um, so yeah, I it's I see that Carrie asked me last night, you go a week without a meeting, and I'm like, I don't think so. <laughs> so there are some nights I have meetings every night of the week, and plus I am president for the next two weeks yet from our South Dakota Association for the Blind, and then um, my term is limited out. So um, yeah, I stay very busy, and I'm on some other local um, pedestrian stuff. So 
Um, I'll share more tonight, but that's kind of who I am and that's how I'm involved in ACB National and uh, it's been a wonderful experience getting to know everyone. So thank you. Somebody asked a question. Um, she'll be talking later. Can it wait till this evening for the banquet? Thank you. Because um, I'm a little uh, behind my little count, my schedule here. And it, my next thing says door prizes, which are fun, right, everybody? So I want to remind people you must be present to win. And that includes on Zoom. So if you're virtual and your name is announced, you must raise your hand so we know you're here. Because other words, you could be like, I don't know, making cookies in the kitchen and not, <laughs> and not sharing the cookies. Personal experience there, Carrie? <laughs> <laughs> no, I did not make cookies, but I might have, you know, cooked other things while you know, listening to things. Uh... Number 47 is Dick Cole. Dick I think Cole. He's virtual. he's virtual. Dick Cole. Yay. Yes. Nancy, can you let us know if Dick has raised his hand? Yeah, and um, I know Dick is probably called in on a phone line. So is that a star nine yep. to raise a hand? Star nine to raise your hand, Dick, if you're there. <laughs> you're being rooted on from the audience. Well, we'll give him a second to, to raise his hand and we'll the prize too. Yeah, draw the next one and then we'll check back in to see if his hand's raised. It's a it's a gift card from Willamette Chapter. Okay, and that one is a $25 gift card from Willamette. So who's the next number? Number 29 is who? Uh, Nancy, while well, we're looking, do we have any raised hands right now? Brooke Cole. Brooke Cole. She is, she's present. Oh, is, she, is she in the room? Brooke? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 I'm not getting any feedback from Zoom, so I'm not certain. Zoom, uh, Nancy, is Dick, is any hands raised? If not, can you mention on Zoom that Dick Cole, if he's in, could he please raise his hand? There are no hands at this time. So Dick Cole, would you please raise your hand and let us know if you are in the room? And I will check for the... Okay, just a second. Dick Cole... If you are listening, please raise your hand. I was told he um, is hard of hearing, so may need a moment. Star nine on the phone. Who's our next victim? Our next uh, winner is Leonard Tokel. Oh, goodies in it. Yay, yay, yay. Um, any hand raised from the audience now? Thank you. Uh, no. Thank you for that, uh, Nancy. So uh, just to let people know, uh, I, I'm working on some tech issues because for some reason we're not hearing Zoom. Uh, Dick Cole, there, he, uh, Nancy repeated his name a couple times on Zoom and he has not raised his hand as of yet. I'm, I'm calling him right now. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Well, we'll see if he raises his hand shortly. I'm going to go ahead and go on with our agenda to the press. So first of all, I would like to say I am so excited that we are here in person. Yay. Yay. 
When I became your president initially in 2020, it was one of the saddest things as soon as COVID hit and not being able to gather. And I think the conventions, I think we did a great job with virtual conventions. Um, and we definitely have challenges with our first hybrid one, obviously. <laughs> um, but, you know, it is great to, to be with people and those of us who felt safe coming in person and enjoying each other's company. I'm just so excited that we are here. Um, and, it, and it's been really awesome to watch um, over this past year. A lot of our chapters have been returning to in-person meetings. And I know some of the challenges with the virtual, you're not feeling as connected to your chapter, to our organization, you know, to the state and stuff. So, you know, it's been great to see people being able to gather again in person and, you know, deal with those new challenges of how are we still staying safe. Um, and, you know, one of the biggest things this year that was really exciting to me is, you know, Sue Schwab initially a few years ago mentioned that ACP of Oregon needed to help us members get to convention because it's difficult for us financially. And early this last year, Leonard Kopel um, requested that we have a special board meeting to talk about how can we do that. And we did last convention, last October, set aside some funds to do this. And so Sue Schwab's spearheaded a task force that helped many of you guys get here. So we were providing transportation, help one night, motel expense, and like the pizza party last night isn't always a typical. So our total hope is to continue that. We do have some still dedicated funds for that. Um, just helping to keep people being able to come to conventions. It's harder and harder to keep the costs down because just the room cost alone, are, are more expensive than they've ever been. So um, so I think that's one of the things I'm really proud that us board members were able to offer and um, help get everybody here. Um, another thing that was really cool this last year that had happened the year before was the whole legislative event. I think it was in March. And again, James Edwards and Teresa Christian kind of took that on as a task and had help from several of you, of our members, with arranging meetings with legislators and the virtual ones with the legislators is so exciting because we get on there and we'll have six to 10 of our members on that Zoom call from all over the state able to talk, actually talk to the legislators, not always their aides. <laughs> and when we, when we travel to DC and do those in-person you know, that's pretty fun too. I mean, that's pretty exciting, but there's one or two of us that travel and most of the time we're just meeting with the aides and not the legislators themselves. So, you know, that was really cool to watch again, um, just people learning those advocacy skills and being able to, um, because we, or ACP Morgan didn't have the expense of sending somebody to that is able to help pay the registration fee so more and more members can attend the national stuff and get information. Um, so I will say one of my biggest joys, and I'll talk about it in a few minutes, was attending the national convention in Omaha in person. It was amazing, and I'll mention more about that in a minute. So our uh, convention planning 
you know, for this convention, we actually started last January, you guys. I mean, it's, it's a lot to plan the convention. And we really picked up in August. Um, I'm really glad that we have a really great team looking to together this and you know my diagnosis of cancer. I came home from Omaha on July 9th, and that following week I was told I probably had cancer. And so a lot of people came home from national with COVID. Boy, I wish that was COVID, not cancer. <laughs> um, so so I thank everybody for their prayers and well wishes for me. Um, so far, things are going good. I'm, I'm currently in chemotherapy, and um, it, it's going to be a long haul. It'll, I don't know if I'll get to go to Schaumburg, Illinois, because I may still be in recovery. But um, it, what it really showed is what a great team we have, ACP of Oregon team. You know, at that time, I brought Tyanne and Leonard in as my VPs and said, okay, we need a backup plan for this convention. And just knowing that I can depend on the other board members and any of the members that I call on to, to help out, it, it's great being able to be in this position. And, um, you know, along with that is, is James's wealth of knowledge, <laughs> James Edwards. And, uh, so he will be um, seeing this afternoon um, because I'm going to take a break. But, you know, just all of the extra support and stuff in our organization has been great. We have no idea what 2023 will bring. The last few years have definitely showed us, right? <laughs> Try to make plans. But, you know, I am really confident that us ACB of Oregon members and board will work together to increase the independence and quality of life for visually impaired Oregonians. And that's really, you know, our big mission. So thank you um, for being able to serve as your president. And I look forward to 2023. So next up, we're gonna have uh, the reading of the nominations. We have the district positions being voted on tomorrow. And then we'll have bylaw amendments after that. So James Edwards. Okay, so the state nominees for district representatives this year are the incumbent, Teresa Christian for District 1, Michael Babcock for District 2, and Mona Hundy for District 3. And that concludes the nomination report. If there is any other people who are interested in these positions, they can be nominated from the floor prior to the vote. Thank you. Thank you, James. <clears throat> and next, we have the first reading of the bylaw changes, John oh. Hamill. Great, I'll take uh, the microphone. Okay. Uh, thank you. We have three bylaw changes, and uh, in true white folk style, uh, we're going to divide the tax because I've got uh, a copy of one, and Lester has a copy of the other two. So uh, hang on a minute while I get myself positioned in this document. Uh, yep. I'm going to scroll down yeah. about 14. Beside the one he's talking about. Is it technology from everybody? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we have a, we have a president? Yes, Mary Lee Turner. I just I I've been 
working to get hold of Dick Cole and finally got him. And he said that he has been on, he's been trying to get on the call, but it, he just can't hear. Okay. So I, I told him that I would accept his. Um, yeah, we're not supposed to do that, Mary Lee. Oh, okay. So well, then I'll call him back and say, he loses. <laughs> he just can't get on. Yeah. His hearing is, is this hearing is so poor. Yeah. Okay. I'll let him know. Okay. Thank you. Okay. We have somebody wanting us to make an exception. Yes. Uh, however, when you do that, you set a precedent. You guys, I, I will say the problem is if we do an exception, we are setting a precedent and then everybody's going to want that exception. Okay, so do I have a motion from the floor? Okay, the motion is to make a one-time only exception for Dick Cole's event at door prize. This is the only one-time exception I'll make all weekend, you guys. All right. All right, it's been a man All in favor? Opposed? All right, so I'm So this is Selection of the site for the next membership meeting, uh, membership meeting, basically the next convention. The fourth thing we had chosen our convention uh, one year in advance, so the bylaw said at the membership meeting we will choose the membership will choose the site for the convention for the next year. But the convention committee has been saying for the last five years or so that one year is long enough to eat two years. So uh, this bylaw changes, this bylaw amendment changes bylaw nine to um, select the convention site two years in advance. And I'll have a page voiceover read and I think the microphone can pick it up. So here we go. That the October annual meeting, Saturday, time and place of its annual meeting two years in advance. Should the membership fail to schedule this event, the executive board shall determine the date, time and place of the meeting. There you go. All right. And then Leonard has three to read. You want me to try to hold the mic, Leonard? Yeah, I'm not going to be able to hold it and read this either. Is it, this uh, is, is kind of like... Up? Do I need to move the mic? Yeah, that okay. should do it. Okay. It's kind of like Halloween here, trick or treat. So you're going to get treated bad for Ready? <laughs> okay, bylaw 11, qualifications of the executive board. All members of the executive 
board shall be Oregon residents age 18 or older have been a member of a chapter for at least 360 days prior to the convention and be a member in good standing of ACB of Oregon. President, first vice president, second vice president, district reps shall be legally blind and secretary and treasurer may be legally blind or sighted. That's the first one. The only thing difference there is we left out local on the local, had to be a member of a local chapter. Okay. And the next one is uh, bylaw 17, duties of the secretary. One, secretary shall uh, provide notice of and shall attend all meetings of the executive board and membership. Keep true and accurate records of the proceedings. Send draft minutes to all executive board members and chapter presidents by email within 30 days following the meeting. Provide draft minutes to the stylist for publication. Number two, secretary shall immediately record into the constitution and bylaws amendments adopted by the membership and submit those changes to the stylus for publication. And the third one is on formation of chapters. Let's back up for a minute. That is the change in that previous bylaw was to the secretary's duty. She had not, the secretary had not been required to immediately update the constitution and bylaws to any amendments that would be made. So, so what John was just saying is that second bylaw, the change was just adding the duty of updating the constitution and bylaws. The rest of that were already a bylaw. Right. Thank you, John. But Madam Chair. Yes, yes, James. Uh, part of this, and correct me if I'm wrong, John, centered, but what's a part of this discussion to have the uh, updated, the amended bylaw, bylaw uh, and constitution brought to the board? In January, for the January meeting, so the board can be present to sign those bylaws. It turns out that the, uh, the earlier bylaw uh, said that the bylaw amendments would go into effect immediately. So that would take precedence over sending it to That is true, sir. But, but uh, in the past, I know we've had an issue with not having a big bylaw. And in years ago, they were designed by the president. So, let's move forward and we can have this, this discussion because we're just doing the reading and these will be read again later this afternoon So and voted on tomorrow. So. This says when they're adapt, adopted by the membership. Uh, formation of chapters. We actually uh, eliminated bylaw. Uh, five, which was formation of electronic 
media chapters. And uh, we have found necessary to, to in, make a new one called Special Interest Statewide Affiliates. That's like our OAABL is. There has to be Oregon residents on in that chapter, but they are statewide. Any of the others are, are in districts. Special interest chapters may be formed by following uh, the guidelines of these bylaws. Two special interest <coughs> chapter members who are in good standing uh, may hold the office of president, first vice president, second vice president, uh, secretary and treasurer on the executive board. Three, one member didn't work very good. <laughs> Maybe you should have one, that antique one. One one member in good standing, one member in good standing from a special interest chapter may be uh, elected by the membership um, to represent all special interest chapters as district four on the executive board. So if that passes, there'd be a one more board member. Okay. All right, thank you. So we'll have those right again this afternoon and tomorrow is when we'll be voting. We can have discussion and all that stuff. If you do have questions concerning those, I do urge you to reach out to John Hamill, James Edwards, and Leonard Copel was drafting these. So um, please reach out to them if you have extra questions. And right now we have recognition of sponsors by Kathy Crawford. So we have three sponsors this year. So our first sponsor is the Lions Club of Springfield, Eugene. We're going to see them this afternoon when you guys go out for your YK vacay walk. Um, so they'll be out there volunteering to help make sure hopefully everyone gets there safely and gets back here safely because we want you guys to stay quick. We don't want you to get lost in Springfield. Um, and the next one is going to be Titan and Alan Woman. All of you guys that got large print and braille uh, programs, you can make tie-in and outlet for those. Um, they did a great job with those. And our last sponsor is our Abigail Trosper. I'm partial her because she's mine. She's a junior member from the Southwestern chapter, and she was also representing Girl Scout, Girl Scout Troop 30490 out of Coos Bay, Oregon, um, in presenting our colors this morning. So those are our three sponsors, um, and Abby is also one of our runners, and if you need something, she will be more than happy to help you find something um, for the rest of our weekend. Thank you. And I'm going to try to make my national convention report shorter because it's almost time for Dacia Johnson and the Commission for the Washington to uh, talk. So national convention, you guys, it was amazing. It was my first in-person convention, and I am now addicted to national conventions and want to hit them all. 
It was so much fun. And it was a great growth opportunity for myself personally. Um, it's the first time in my life I traveled as pretty much a totally blind person. Only the third time I flew anywhere in my life. So a lot of great growth um, opportunities. So one of the, the things that came up, I took a job last February working at the community college. And my job is to help students with disabilities connect with the Oregon Commission for Blind or Vocational Rehabilitation and navigate college and all this stuff. You know, that's part of my job. Well, when I accepted the job, um, I started on Valentine's Day. Yay. Um, I, I told them that I had this week that I needed off work in July. And they said, well, what are you doing? And I told them, they said, well, that's a different scope of your job. So they actually paid my airfare and motel. Awesome because you know ACB in Oregon normally does that, and with COVID, of course, prices are outrageous. Um, my airline ticket was thirteen hundred dollars, and so um, so the college paid about twenty four hundred dollars towards they go. So ACB of Oregon got to save some money. They graciously yay paid for my meal, right? <laughs> so I could eat. Um, but you know what? It was really awesome is we, we held a board meeting to discuss how can we use some of those funds um, to help our other membership. So we did end up paying for some of our general members to attend virtually, the, the virtual registration fee. And um, James Edwards was also concerned. Michael Babcock went for work to be an exhibitor there with the AT guys. And um, he was, you know, we actually provided some financial help for him so he could eat too. <laughs> <laughs> and and food and food was not cheap for sure. <laughs> that is so true. Yep. Yeah, it, it was expensive. And um, so it was it was a lot of fun. And I, I went up there like on Wednesday when things start Friday. So that Thursday I got to hang out with Connie yay, <laughs> and put bags like 500. Like, you know, uh, Cassie thinks our 60 or 70 is crazy. Yeah, 500. There was a whole team. <laughs> Cassie says she never won that job. <laughs> but, you know, it's funny. That first night when I got in, you know, I wasn't to the motel till after 9 p.m. And I was tired. I went down to find something to eat. And then I was, like, totally disoriented. Because, you guys, these big motels, oh, my gosh, there's music blaring. And it is so hard to navigate the lobby. And I was not find the elevators right <laughs> i was like okay where's somebody to help me and who do i hear dan and leslie spoon our national president and his wife it was so cool so i went flying train to, to find the elevators so that was really cool and thursday night i had dinner with connie and a group of other people um all involved on national and Friday, um, I went to the Henry Dorley Zoo, which was a lot of fun. Um, and, you know, we are awesome. And those of us who have some sight often guide and help those of us without sight. <laughs> and I actually hung out for the day with a, with a nice lady and her daughter, um, Cindy and Jessica Dale. Jessica is one of the, Cindy's her mom. And uh, Jessica's a student. Um, in ACB students, and we hung out with Maureen, the marine biologist. She was a scholarship winner, and she's finishing her PhD in biology. Such an amazing young lady, and so she was my guide for the day, and so I had so much fun, and it was um, 
a, a big blast. Um, doing that, they actually brought a lot of pelts and different things we were able to physically touch at the zoo. I actually they have a huge tank of stingrays. You put your hand in there, and they come and you get stingrays. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I was to orientation, right? Because this is a problem. <laughs> and I was trying to figure out if you go down one elevator, you got to transfer to another, go somewhere, go across the Sky Bridge, like to get to the convention center. And, you know, kind of trying to figure that out. And who comes out of elevators? Like, yeah, it's Daniel, it's a spoon. We went to dinner with them. It was so much fun. And, um, so then, you know, I, I attended so many wonderful, wonderful sessions um, on, you know, things for, you know, I do leadership stuff and like critical race theory, diversity, equity, inclusion, and yes, add A for accessibility, right? <laughs> Lots of employment sessions, um, creating an your elevator pitch. I almost said elevator pitch. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, the general sessions were amazing. You know, here we have our general session and what we have about 50 people in here. Oh, yeah, you, you have four or 500 people in a room. The energy is incredible. It is just, it, it's awesome. It is just so enthusiasm. Um, and I even, all of a sudden, Michael Babcock was supposed to facilitate a session. <laughs> was that on Selling Yourself? Uh, it was on Selling Yourself, and I think it was co-sponsored by ACB Next Generation. I forget the other group that was doing it. And uh, Carrie, uh, yeah, that was a fun time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, employment. Oh, employment committee, too. Yeah, so that morning, I got a frantic email. Can you facilitate this session? I am so thankful that they were all organized and had great notes because it went off without a hit. But <laughs> it was great. Um, the walk across the, the bridge, there's a bridge that goes um, from Omaha into Iowa. Iowa. Is it Council Bluffs? Yeah. Yeah. And that was really cool to walk across. There's a troll that lives there. Um, and I thought to be more people, I hung out with Swatha. She's one of our advocacy people nationally. Um, so everything I did, you guys, was so much fun. I hung out with different people almost everywhere I went. So it was really cool to me. I, I played bingo with a, a group of ladies from Georgia, including Cecily Nipper, one of our national, um, she's pretty involved nationally, and her mom, Cecily. So that was a lot of fun. Um, one of my saddest things was I was signed up for the tree brush adventure, which yes, zip lining, and it got canceled because of the storm. It, oh, it was so nasty. The, the weather was terrible. But the fun thing is, I went over there. They did let me get into the little gear and everything, you know. So they called it when we were there getting ready to go out. Um, but again, I had fun meeting people. And uh, you know, hung out with different people. And on the way back, we were having a ride in the you know in the tour bus, and it was definitely storming. It was swaying and everything else. <laughs> and one of my my biggest joys, I think, was the awards um, presentations for the banquet. As we mentioned, Connie and I were co-chairs on that committee, and we had it all planned out. And she had to leave suddenly the day before, um, and so then we're frantically trying to hide. Janet Dickelman's award <laughs> because she was on our committee and she was um, presented an award, but she was still shocked, I think, for weeks. 
<laughs> about getting that award. But um, but that was a lot of fun being able to do those awards and um you just again, you know, people, you know, just like here, people stepping in, pitching, you know, having issues, it still gets done and people do a great job at just filling in where needed, and that's what happened that day. So we definitely missed Connie though. <laughs> So, so you guys, I am so thankful to National. I, I really hope health-wise I'm able to go to Schomburg um, because that's the one I was going to go to my first one in 2020 when it got changed to virtual. So my, my hope is that I can get to go to Schomburg, Illinois. Um, if not, the next one, I'm going to go. <laughs> and I encourage everybody else, you know, if you have an interest in, in getting involved nationally, you know, reach out, do it. It's a lot of fun. You meet a lot of great people. So um, next, I'm going to do a couple more parts, but we're running a few minutes behind. I'm going to go ahead and have David Johnson. So right now we have uh, four um, kind of updates. We're going to have um, Oregon Commission for the Blind, David Johnson speaking. And then we're going to have from the Talking Book and Girl Services, Elke Burton, and she's joining us via Zoom. And then we do have Monica Butler from Hope Foundation Learning Center and Elizabeth Wolf from Blindsville. So first, Daisha. Okay. Yep. The VRC and out of uh, Eugene here. So I've worked with her for a long time. So welcome. Hey. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. And good morning to folks on Zoom as well. I think this is our new yeah. reality, right? That we will be probably some in person and some joining virtually from wherever. So um, I've enjoyed the conversation today and the camaraderie just listening. And um, nice advocacy, Mary Lee, to get that door prize. And uh, that was great. That's right. Dick Colby can get something special. Careful, so that's great. Um, for those of you who uh, don't know the Commission for the Blind, we're your vocational rehabilitation and independent living agency that provides um, rehabilitation services. Most of our funds come from the federal government um, for the purposes of helping Oregonians who experience vision loss get and keep jobs. Um, but we also provide critical independent living services to um, mostly seniors who are experiencing vision loss who need help to keep um, safe and independent in their homes and communities. We are guided by a seven-member commission, and currently, um, your member on the commission is Michael Babcock. Hi, Michael. <laughs> and I think I see Lillian in the room as well. Hi, Lillian. Um, she also served on our commission. So um, your leadership, uh, both uh, Commissioner Babcock and Goodman, they guide the agency in providing um, leadership to help us make the best policy and resource decisions that we can to make sure that our services um, are doing the best that they can to help people um, in our state either get or keep jobs or stay independent. Um, October is National Disability Employment Awareness Month, and as your president was talking about um, the accessibility, um, the theme for National Disability Employment Awareness Month this year is disability part of the equity equation. And our staff are involved with a variety of events around the state um, with both business and agency partners 
to provide public education about the importance and significance of having um, an inclusive workforce because we know it's not only the right thing to do, but it's, been, it's good for business. We know our agency has um, better outcomes and better services because we employ individuals with experience vision loss and other disabilities. And we think that's true of business as well. Um, the last time I was in person with you, I believe was in 2019. And when I was writing that, I actually had to do the math on my fingers. Like, is that right? That the last time I was here in person was in 2019, but I think it is. And it feels like in some ways, the um, COVID-19 pandemic was a little bit of the lost years, right? Where we just got all kind of hunkered down and did what we need to do um, to keep our um, ourselves safe, our family safe, and for the agency to keep um, Oregonians who are wine safe as well as our staff. Um, last month, we celebrated an end-of-term lunch um, at the training center that we have in Portland, and it was a packed house for the first time um, since probably December of 2019. It was filled with family members, students who were exiting the program, staff, and I was trying to say welcome, and I kind of teared up, and I was surprised by that. And uh, uh, but it was really overwhelming just to have the sense of community, like what you're experiencing today. Um, it was really, really neat to see. This time has been a challenge for us, um, certainly, but we did learn a lot of things throughout the COVID nineteen pandemic that we think will improve our services as an agency. We um, have learned a lot about different types of jobs that have become remote and what a great opportunity that will be as that gets more and more mature that individuals might be living in Pendleton and maybe able to take a state job in Salem that's fully remote. Um, and so when the job market is changing and evolving, and there's a lot of good things about that. Um, that means though, that we need to continue to step up our game as an agency for um, providing the best technology training um, possible so folks can be um, prepared for those remote jobs. We've also been able to offer a broader range of training services um, and even some adjustment training and living with blindness type um, support virtually, which before the pandemic, we felt pretty um, it was important that those were only in person. But when we couldn't be in person, we thought, well, we should not offer something. And so we offered it virtually. And what we learned is that it was still a rich experience. You know, people who are new to vision loss, being able to connect with other people that are going through the same things and can ask those in a safe environment the basic questions around, um, you know, how to navigate your home environment, how to have conversations with your friends and, and your supervisors, all of those things that we know are important questions to ask um, to be able to um, learn through those experiences of each other. We've also had um, in our Randolph Shepherd program, the business enterprise program, a lot of significant changes that are still ongoing, challenges with um, providing food service and vending in public buildings that don't have a lot of people in them anymore. And so that um, program continues to evolve and shift. So what used to be large cafeteria operations are looking more like micro markets with um, 
technology, not staff intensive programs where people are doing self-serve, self-checkout type operations. That will continue to evolve, we think, and maybe settle in with there being, hopefully be more people going in and out of these public buildings that could be spending money at these facilities, but we're not sure. So it's still kind of in a fluctuation. And the unfortunate um, reality is that these small businesses have been hurting um, throughout the pandemic and are continuing to try to struggle to find some financial viability. While we were hunkered down, we continued to do business as usual um, through uh, Michael and Lillian's leadership and through your input, we updated our strategic plan. Um, and so our strategic priorities are service equity, uh, making sure that uh, services are provided around the state and that there's accessibility in mind um, and inclusive service delivery. We also remain uh, focused on aging Oregonians. We continue to be an aging state. And we know that there is still a gap between what we can serve in terms of service capacity for seniors and what um, seniors need. And so we want to be able to continue to be focused on that as a priority. The third one is specialized staff. Um, we are partly experiencing, we, we have pretty good uh, staff retention. But there is a thing that you've maybe heard called the great resignation, and it has affected us. Folks have decided to move on, change occupations, move to a different state. Um, and so we've experienced more turnover than we ever have. Um, and that's pretty much the national trend that we're seeing around the nation. We have to continue to be diligent around making sure that we're not only recruiting the best staff, but retaining them. And part of that is through um, in improving our investment and continuing education because people in this field want and are passionate about continuing to learn the latest in the field and expertise. And we also are looking at um, access and opportunity, making sure that we're focused on outreach and making sure that all Oregonians um, who are blind know how to get to us and the services that are available once they get there. And the final one is accountable government. We are part of state government, and it is really important that we continue to invest in our infrastructure to make sure that we're responsive to things like information security. We do have a lot of personal information in our systems, and we need to have um, the best systems in place to make sure that that um, personal information is secure. Um, your president talked about your legislative activities, and I cannot reinforce how important this is. When we're talking about priorities, we also um, need budget to exercise um, those priorities. And you, um, in your advocacy at the legislature, both at the state and national level, is um, really critical to making sure that we have stable investments um, in our agency. I do my part. We create an agency request budget. We submit that to the governor's office, and then that eventually gets to the legislature, and I'm able to present. Um, but I'm a bureaucrat. I may be, you know, passionate bureaucrat, but I'm a bureaucrat nonetheless. And it's really you, your citizen involvement in that legislative process that makes all the difference, because the legislature represents you. Um, and they really want to hear from you in terms of what you think is important. 
And so um, investing in specialized services of our agency um, is really important to hear um, what you think is important. So the more you engage with the legislative process, um, the more successful our agency is. And I just think, I cannot thank you enough for all of your advocacy in that area. We're looking at outreach, um, trying to continue to invest in accessible technology this time around, information technology, and then uh, additional staff investment to help us retain uh, and recruit the best staff possible. So I feel like I may have used my 10 minutes up, but I'll pause there, um, President Muth, and if there are any questions, I'm happy to take them. Are there any questions? In the audience? No answers? Okay, thank you, Daisha, for that update. Thank you so much. Thank you for the opportunity to be here. Yeah, thank you. And uh, oh, our speakers, I do want our speakers to know there are some lighthouses floating around. Please take them. Please take one. <laughs> or two. Or two. Dave, what did you say? Oh, get me a few, Daisha, so you can pick out a few lighthouses in the hallway, yeah. So the, those lighthouses were donated to the Southwestern chapter, and uh, because of a connection James Edwards had, and we're actually paying stories. We've used them as fundraisers and sold some, and um, we tried to figure out what to do. I said, hey, we should just bring a bunch to convention. <laughs> so... Well, okay, limit on how many most of everybody takes one. So so thank you, Daisha. I think our next uh guest is Elfie and Bruton from the library, and she's gonna join us virtually. Michael, is that ready? Uh I believe so. Yes, uh, yes. She's yes, I am. Good morning. Good morning. I like it when technology works. <laughs> And Elke, if we could if we could get somebody from uh, Salem, they can haul you home the lighthouse if you're wanting one too. Oh, okay. Thank you. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, thank you for having me here today. My name is Elka Bruton. For those who haven't met me, I know that I I believe we were in person last year, and I feel like I I visited with some of you this year. Um, unfortunately, um, it's kind of like you end up with all these things scheduled at once. And as Daisha was saying, we seem to be moving into a a hybrid world, and and um, I find that it's really it's actually kind of good. So um, it's nice to be able to truly be two places at one time and and still be able to visit with you all. So. Um, I am here to talk about the library and let you know what we've been up to for the last year and certainly take any questions that you all have. So um, just some highlights about the library. Within this last year, we have been continuing on serving uh, people of Oregon with the audiobooks and the Braille books. And um, we have, you know, certainly experienced some of the staffing issues, um, as everyone knows about. Um, we had a couple of, of key staff members who've been with us for a few years who um, just had really great opportunities come their way and uh, moved on. So we did a little bit of um, um, all of us did a, have did a little bit of double duty throughout the summer making sure that all of the um, circulation and communication with our patrons was covered so that uh, you all wouldn't necessarily, um, you know, notice any interruption to service while we were re 
recruiting for new people. So we now have um, um, our, we are fully staffed as far as being able to serve our patrons. And we were able to do some creative moving around. So with one of our resignations, it actually allowed us to uh, move some of our services, uh, some of our duties around and is has now opened up uh, what we're calling a customer service uh, support position that we're recruiting for right now. And that person is really going to help us fill in the gaps of reaching out to our, our talking book and Braille users to make sure that we are reaching the people who don't necessarily call us all of the time. So the people that call us and email us, that's great. We have a great interaction with them. We make sure that we're getting them the kind of uh, library services they want. But we're always thinking about the people that we don't hear from. And we want to make sure that we reach out to our, our library users and and let them know that you know we want to serve them. We're interested in serving them, and if there's anything they need, um, we want to we want to help them out. So we're being we're hoping to start being um, a little bit more proactive with those communications to our patrons. So some of the highlights of the last year that are over and above what we normally do is that um, back in June, the National Library Service did um, debut their what they're calling their Braille on Demand project. And what's really exciting about this is that um, anyone who reads Braille is able to borrow Braille um, from us through the Utah State Library. And um, and certainly um, we've been getting the, the electronic Braille, um, um, the e-readers in people's hands as much as possible through our partnership with Utah. But this is significant because this Braille on Demand project is allowing any of our library users to contact the NLS and receive one hard copy of Braille per month. So every month, each person can ask for a hard copy of Braille that would be theirs to keep, not, not a book that's being added to the collection, but a hard copy of Braille for them to keep. And so far it's going well, they're receiving lots and lots of um, requests. Of course, one per month may seem uh, you know, a bit restrictive and may not seem like much, but when you consider that that you know our libraries are across the country, we have over 56 libraries in the country, which includes every state and uh, territories, and of course thousands of users in every state. They you know they knew they couldn't just completely open the floodgates. They wanted to make sure that they could that they knew that they could serve people and not and not leave people without. So uh, by limiting limiting it to one per month, that gives really gives everyone a chance to get in there and, and request um, a hard copy of, of some beloved book, cookbook, um, history book, something that, that they have been wanting to hold on to instead of something that they could only borrow and then, and then needed to return right away. So that uh, project has been going on and we're really excited about that. I mentioned the Braille e-reader. Um, we keep calling it the pilot because technically it is still piloted simply because, um, and we talked about this last year, uh, due to the supply chain demands, we have not been able to get the, the mass production of those e-readers going so that they can be shared with all of the states. Initially, um, just a handful of our Braille readers who were borrowing from the Utah State Library were invited to join that, that project. Um, those would have been people that were already borrowing Braille from uh, through us, through Utah. But um, a few months ago, I, I believe it was over the summer, <clears throat> 
Utah did reach out to me and they offered a really, a really great opportunity. And that was that any of our Braille readers, even if they were not already borrowing Braille from Utah, but any of our organ Braille readers who were interested in getting an e-reader could do so um, through us, through the Utah State Library. And I, I questioned her over and over and over again, um, because of course, we're relying on the staff at Utah and, and everyone they're already serving, you know, they're serving their people in their state. And I did not want to take any resources um, out of the hands of, of people in Utah, you know, at, at the, you know, to serve people here in Oregon. So I, you know, I questioned, are you sure? Is this something you can handle? What's the limit? You know, what, <laughs> you know, I, I wanted to make sure that we we maintained a good partnership and and Utah assured me that they would be able to handle it. So since that, since the summer, um, any people who have contacted us, whether it's by email or phone and said, hey, we're, can I get a Braille e-reader? As long as they are, you know, already registered to use Talking Books here in Oregon, uh, what we're doing is is collecting those names a few at a time, sending them to Utah so that they can create those accounts and get those e-readers out to you. So, if you do not have one of our e-readers yet and you are wanting one and you had not heard of this yet, um, please make a note to get in touch with us um, either by phone or email and, and let us know that that you're ready for an e-reader and um, we will facilitate that through Utah. Uh, um, <clears throat> our Oregon um, um, recording studio, so some people may recall that we have a tiny fledgling recording booth here at the State Library and we are uh, recording materials to add to the National Collection. The books that we are recording so far, um, first of all, it's a very slow process. Um, I say fledgling because, of course, we are still learning um, when the books are narrated. They have to be reviewed. They have to be edited, sound mixed, all these things. And so getting out a couple of books every six months is really reasonable for us. So we have uh, completed four books in the past year. And we have two more currently in progress. We have two narration volunteers who are working on those materials. And then Joel, our um, recording uh, um, coordinator, he is who uh, does all of the, the editing and sound mixing for those, those books. So every time one of our, our books is recorded and approved by the National Sur Library Service, it does join the National Collection. And, and so it's not just available for our, our friends in Oregon, but it's available for people all over the country. And so far, the books that we are um, uploading to the, the BARD system are very popular. They're, they are, you know, as soon as they're getting uploaded, they are getting downloaded by folks all around the country, including Oregonians. We were also able to identify more than 20 books that had been recorded for us by other states around 10 years ago. Um, so right at the end of the cassette collection, uh, some of these books were recorded they had not been put into this, this um, you know, the format that we need to be able to share with the, the BARD download system. And so um, while Joel was working on those four books that, that were being newly recorded this year, he was also working on um, more than 20 older books to, again, edit them, sound mix them, add anything that needed to be added. And then he was able to successfully get those up 
uploaded to the national system as well. So um, we ended up submitting um, um, about 25 books in this last year to the to the big collection, which is really great and really exciting. And we're hoping to just keep um, you know, keep that up, keep going as we can bring more volunteers into the into the um, library and identify the the different roles um, in the recording process that can also be volunteer roles and then and then start to recruit for for those volunteers as well. Um, lastly, we had a really exciting opportunity in this last year, and it's it's been very quiet so far because we're we're kind of um, we absolutely put the cart before the horse on this one, and so we're we're um, there's been no great big public announcement yet, but but we will be doing this in the next year. So in April, um, both the Library of Congress and our our friends at the National Library Service, so kind of like our main parent library and then the big bosses uh, reached out to me and with a very interesting proposition. So um, uh, across the country, the Library of Congress um, sponsors, promotes a uh, program called the Center for the Book. And the idea is that within each state, there is a center for the book in that state. And the whole purpose of, of the center for the book is to promote reading, promote literacy, just to just to really just get people excited about reading and libraries and making sure that people um, have a reason and an excitement about getting connected to, to library service, um, regardless of who you are. Or again, did not have a center for the book. The previous um, agency that had that had been the center for the book had declined to continue um, during COVID, and um, it had been just a position that wasn't filled for a while. And so, the Library of Congress and National Library Service talked and decided that they really wanted to get um, a, a, a talking book in Braille library somewhere in the in the country to be the first accessible library that was also the center for the book. And um, um, our name, Oregon, came up and said that um, they should really contact us here in Oregon uh, and see if, if um, that's something we'd like to do. And so we were really excited and honored to be um, asked to participate as the very first accessible library that is the Oregon Center for the Book. And um, Sorry, I get a little bit um, emotional at that because that's really exciting because it was uh, what they want is for libraries across the country when they are planning their programming and planning their activities to think about accessibility first, not as a as a second thought, not as a, oh, no, we forgot to do that. And by having the Oregon Talking Book and Braille Library as the first accessible um, center for the book, we will be championing that idea and putting um, accessibility and and um, design thinking about around accessibility at the forefront uh, when we are when we are serving and representing as as the Oregon Center for the book. And so um, our first activity, and this is where I talk about carts and horses and scrambling all summer, the very first activity was for us to go to the National Book Festival in Washington, D.C. It is um, held every Labor Day weekend uh, right there in downtown D.C. And of course, um, it was put on hold uh, over the last two years, three years. Um, but it is an event that is held in the Walter Washington Convention Center, which is truly the the largest convention center I have ever been in. Um, you could, it, it would take you thirty minutes to walk across the convention center, and um, 
the the event is typically attended by over 10,000 people. Um, again, the largest group of people I've ever been around. Um, this year was the first year back in person. They had lower attendance than than usual, but there were still over 5,000 people that we spoke to um, in the Hall of States. And so all states are represented. We bring things from the state of Oregon. We talk to people about the state of Oregon, about library service in Oregon. Uh, it was very exciting this year, of course, because people people noticed us. They noticed that that our booth said talking books and the uh, talking book in Braille of Oregon. And people had questions. What does that mean? How do you serve people? Um, I live in Maryland. I live in Virginia. I live in New Jersey. How does that work where I live? And so um, for eight straight hours, we talked a lot about um, accessible services, um, how people who experience print disabilities access materials, and just had a really great time chatting with, um, like I said, 5,000 people from um, mainly the East Coast, because it's it's typically a thing people drive into or take the train into, and um, but just visiting with them about about what we do in Oregon and and how we um, how everyone um, is responsible for for serving people um, in accessible ways. So that's really exciting. Um, over the next year, you know, of course, we'll be doing some different activities. Uh, definitely um, um, reaching out to our kids. One of the things we're going to do over the the um, December January is we're inviting our our student users, and they don't know this yet, so don't don't uh, spoil the surprise. But um, we're going to be inviting our our children users to help us with a design. Um, like a design contest. We want to design uh, a poster and logo for the Oregon Center for the book. And we want our kids to be the, the leaders in that design. So we're going to be asking our students, our kids to give us design concepts. And that can be any kind of media, any kind of format that that they want um, to, to showcase the idea that reading is for everyone, and um, we're we're hoping to take the you know the 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 winning design and share that with um, the um, the graphic designers here at the state and come up with something really cool. So those are some of our activities coming up. That is the general part of my report. I think I have a few more minutes if anyone has questions for me. Do we have any questions? Yes. Yes. Okay. Do we have a mic runner? Yeah. Happy's a mic runner. Thank you, Abby. Raise your hand. Raise your hand if you want the mic. Uh, I think so. Announce your name before you start speaking, so we know. And Elka, I gotta apologize for mispronouncing your name. One of those fun things with Jaws always says Elky. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. My phone leaves off the last vowel altogether. So, <laughs> um, my name is Jean Marie Moore, and I would like to um, talk just briefly about um, the fact that once a month, the National Library Service has Zoom calls um, talking about the library and. They're very interesting if you can remember when they are and show up, which has been challenging, but they're very interesting calls. You can talk to them about, um, you know, books you want to see happen and things like that. It's really quite, uh, it's access we haven't had before, I'll say that. Okay, thanks. Thank you, Jean-Marie. 
And is there a sign up for that to get emails for that or? I think so. It's, um, I am, I get so many announcements about meetings that are overwhelmed. Do you have information on that? So yes, actually, we've been sending out the 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 Zoom meetings are they're primarily about the Bard system, the Braille and audio reading download system, and so anyone who is a a Bard user, of course, we have their email addresses as they have given to us. We send out a notice reminding them of that meeting with the the Zoom information. So so check your emails, check your your um spam filters, just in case you haven't been getting those. And yes, please take part in those. Um, the um, National Library Service last year, right about the time that we all met, um, was um, welcoming their new uh, um, director, uh, director Jason Broughton. And he has brought in uh, a whole new era of communication and reaching out and talking directly to people. And, and you know, Jean Marie was saying, you know, getting um, these meeting invitations are really great and being a part of that conversation is great. The same things are happening for us as staff. We are constantly getting invited to different meetings and pop-up trainings from the National Library Service for staff members that we had never, um, never been a part of before. So, so it, you know, get just join into that meeting um, when you get the notice and and hold on to the link and share the link among among you know each other it's not it's not a private link so if you have that link um and you received the email and you you're not sure if your friend maybe has it you know ask them reach out to each other and go hey did you you know did you join that meeting this month or are you going to join the meeting tomorrow night here's the link um, so that we can all um, make sure that we get that information. Because I know, like I said, sometimes things go to spam folders and filters, and we don't necessarily know that we're missing out on an invitation. So share with each other, join in. And yeah, I mean, it sounds corny, but become a part of that conversation. Thank you. Thank you. And I do want to um, recognize that Doug, one of our members, in South Dakota? Yeah. Okay. From South Dakota, just uh, let Connie know that those announcements often come out on the community call lists from ACDs. So yeah. if you're getting those emails, watch those too. So great. Do we have time for one more question? That's okay. Because I've got them at the microphone. It's Mary Lee Turner. What the books are that have been recorded through the our, our local. Uh, recording service through the library. You're asking what are the 27 books that we recorded and added? What are the four that have the two that have been recently recorded and the two that are in process? So so off so off the top of my head right now I can't tell you the titles of those. Um, They are they are a mix of Oregon authors they're a mix of Oregon um, um, uh, settings, and they are a mix of some books that we had um, that were in series. So books in a series where where the National Service was missing, like books three and four, and so we're filling in where they were missing out, but they but they happen to be our you know our our uh, Oregon setting or Oregon location. And then I believe one of them that's being recorded right now was uh, one that had won the um, uh, 
national, uh, not the national, sorry, the the Oregon Book Award was one of the Oregon Book Award authors. And that that actually reminds me, um, speaking of um, national and selecting books and things like that, um, um, one of the exciting things, because we are the Oregon Center for the Book and the first um, library that is the accessible library, Oregon Center for the Book, the National Library Service actually made a commitment to the National Center for the Book. Um, Every state selects two books, usually a children's book and an adult book to represent their state each year. And the National Library Service, um, because of our joining, made a commitment to the National Book Festival and the, the National Center for the Book that all states' books, when they are selected, if they are not already in audio and braille for the the talking books libraries across the country, they will be immediately put into production so that by the time the National the National Book Festival happens in September, it will not just be printed books that are on the table for people to purchase, but all talking books library users will already have access to all of those books for every center for the book in all the states and territories in the country. Wow, that's wonderful. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Elka, for joining um, us. Carrie, can I make a quick comment about yes. the Braille and ask a real quick question? Yeah, you need Perfect. a mic. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I can talk loud, but I'm holding my hand in front of Leonard. Got it. Now, uh, for people in attendance, if you are interested in the NLS e-reader, I do have one here, and I'm open to people putting their hands on it and taking a look at it. Uh, it's a really nice little device, and it's what's allowing me to read messages about what's going on today. Uh, so that is available, and I'll be here today and tomorrow, so you can just find me. My voice is fairly distinct. Uh, Elka, I do have a quick question. Is the position that you guys are hiring currently for customer service, is that a possibility of a remote position, or is it only in Salem? It, it is only in Salem. It is a part-time position, and it is actually a student worker position. So any anyone um, who's in the state who is um, able to come to Salem, be, because it, the person will be speaking to our, our patrons uh, directly, um, that is something in, in that type of position that we keep very close because we want to make sure that, that the messaging and that the and that the person is is treating our customers right. And so we, we really do need to have eyes on that person. But it is a, a position that's open to any student, whether it is a trade school, community college, college, even um, um, senior in high school uh, person who, who is going to any kind of schooling is, is eligible to apply for that position. Perfect. Thank you. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So next up, I am very pleased to hear from Monica Butler. As you guys know, we've had a close relationship with the whole Foundation and Learning Center, previously Hope Park, <laughs> for many years. And there have been a lot of changes the last couple of years. And um, I was pretty excited when they did um, give the director job to Monica. And so Monica Butler. And, and and I would like to say that um, she was great because Teresa and I reached out to her trying to figure out the transportation, and she's like, hey, we have a, a van, and yeah, all right. so awesome. Thank you so much. You're welcome, Carrie. Good morning, everyone. Um, again, my name is Monica Butler. I am the new executive director of Mobile Foundation. Um, I have been executive director for four months now, although I have been part of the foundation for four years. So I believe that we are the best kept secret in the nation. 
There are people that live in Sandy or in where we are located that don't even know that we are here. So it is something that we are working on and spreading the word and letting people know um, who we are and what we do. So I feel we are unlike any other organization in the country. We help our guests progress from coping to thriving. And here's how we do it. I think that our, I think of our team as enablers. Just in the last two months, our guests have skydived, whitewater rafted, kayak, zip line, rock climb, and many other things. They were able to do these activities fully supervised, but did it all by themselves. What the whole foundation is good at is being a safe community for those who are blind or have sidewalks. We offer a safe environment to offer education, mental relaxation, and fun to our guests and their families. We have different types of activities. We have our seminars, which include seminars that are facilitated by your own Mary Lee Turner. We have uh, new to sightlong seminars. We have advanced sightlong seminars. In the past, we have had uh, seminars that revolve around cooking. We've had seminars that revolve around arts and hobbies. So that's one of the things we offer. And that is a two-night, three-day event. Then we have our what we call our events, and those are short events, like our Monster Mash, which Carrie has joined us at. And Wes, um, a lot of people that are here today actually have been to our events. Wes um, Brown, Julie Kulak, um, and if I miss anybody, Chris Mauber, uh, they've all come to some of our events. We have a... Um, we have spring fling. We have a Christmas event or holiday. We call it our holiday getaway. And those are our three-night, four-day events that we have. And those are just fun social events. I call them three, four-day Halloween parties or Christmas parties. And um, we enjoy that and have a good time. We also have our retreats. And our retreats are the things where our guests are able to do the skydiving or the whitewater rafting, and we keep them busy um, every day that they are there. So we enjoy doing that with them and making sure that um, they are having a good time. When you do come to the whole foundation, we have meeting rooms, we have a lodge, a dormitory that houses up to 46 people. There are um, two rooms that have queen beds and 21 rooms that have twin beds. We do have the shared showers and bathrooms and also private bathrooms and showers. We have a hot tub in that dorm. We have a pool, a recreation room, picnic shelter, game court. We do have a gazebo and a world-renowned garden. And we have a catch-and-release fishing pond for our guests to enjoy. Um, we also are available to rent our property out for any kind of event. We do weddings. We have family reunions, we have the Hammer Dulcimer's group that comes every year. We have the, um, we have a group of public school children that come out every year for camp. We have the Guide Dogs for the Blind. Uh, Jane Flowers brings out two groups of kids and adults that come out and um, hang out with us for a week. Um, so that is great. Uh, we have been doing a lot of Zoom meetings. So COVID and, and the pandemic really changed up what we're doing. And we have partnered with ACBO, um, thanks to Teresa and Carrie and Desiree, 
And we have been able to get out to all of our people that may have not been able to get out to see us or honestly are afraid to get out and come see us because of the pandemic. So we do a plethora of classes right now. We're running about six classes a week. And those are facilitated and moderated and hosted by some of your very own people sitting here in this room, and plus a few extra. And so we feel that we've been able to get out and um, do a lot of things with the community, which we're really excited about. I used to, before I became the executive director, run our book club, speaking of talking books. Um, we regularly have a book club and we meet twice a month and read a new book. Everyone gets to uh, put in their input and pick all of our books. And we enjoy reading those books and then coming back and sharing um, how we feel. We also have uh, a chat cafe, just so you can um, come in and chat. Let us know how you're feeling or if you're having a bad week or if you're having a bad day and, and tell us some of your challenges and how can we possibly help you get the resources that you need to get over that challenge or get over that hump. And then we have what's become very popular is called First Friday uh, for Family and Friends. And that is a Zoom meeting for family and friends of those that have cyclones or blindness. And they can talk about what their struggles are and what they're dealing with and challenges that they're coming up with. And some of them are uh, come to that last leg where they're not sure what to do and just need to know what direction do I go in. Um, so we have that. Um, we encourage you to come out and visit us and to see us. Uh, just give us a call and let us know you'd like to come out and come see the garden and, and have a picnic lunch or you know see what we're all about. Because like I said, people don't even know um, that we're here. One of our guests recently shared with me and said, I felt like a prisoner in my own apartment. And now I was able to do those things at Old Hall that I never thought were possible. And I have the confidence to go out and do more. And I, sorry, I get a little choked up. Um, that's what we're all about. That's my passion, is to make sure that we can show people that they can do anything. And we are here to support them and help them find the resources to do that. Our foundation gives our guests the opportunity to get out and have some fun and practice the skills that they have learned. So if you want any information or you like, would like to be put on our Zoom list so you can find out about all of our classes that we're having, or you would like to be put on our newsletter list, please give us a call at the office. Uh, speak to myself or my two assistants um, who are amazing, Kriana and Crystal, and they will help you get set up. And we are looking forward to many, many more years of um, coming up with new and fun ideas. We're trying to find all new things to do. And in the winter retreat coming up in February, we're hoping to go tuning, cross-country skiing, snowshoeing, hiking, have lots of cocoa and anything you'd like to put in it. Enjoy the hot tubs and uh, we look forward to you. I, I really enjoyed meeting so many more people here. I was uh, happy to bring a group down. I wish we could have fit so many more people in the van. We actually had more people that wanted to come that I couldn't fit in. Um, and Wes actually had a fantastic idea and told me, you know, the foundation should um, get a trailer just for luggage. 
So <laughs> you can fit so many more people in the van as well as luggage. So if you know anybody that has an enclosed trailer that's looking to find a home for it, uh, the foundation uh, would love to have that so we can partner more. I I have to say that I do not know a whole lot about the ACB, but I am, uh, especially ACBO, and um, I am learning more. And thank you so much, Carrie, for inviting me to speak. I am really excited about what we have going on in the future. Thank you. And thank you so much for helping with our transportation. All right. Um, and we are kind of running behind, and I know everybody's probably ready for a break, but um, we do have one more uh, blind skills with Erica Wolf. So we'll let her speak, then we'll take a quick break. Elizabeth. Oh, Elizabeth, sorry. I said, I'm just old. I don't know. I'm getting that way. Good morning. Uh, my name is Elizabeth Wool. I'm the acting executive director with Blind Skills Inc. And I'd like to start with a little bit of history. Uh, Blind Skills Inc. was started in 1983 by Carol McCarl, a nonprofit organization. Its purpose was to distribute and disseminate information to support blind children and their families. Carol developed Life Print Magazine, and all the articles were written by visually impaired people. The purpose of the magazine was to help children and families in transition from Oregon School for the Blind to public school. The articles helped them live happy and fulfilling lives. In 1990, Blind School started publishing Dialogue Magazine on a quarterly basis. Dialogue magazine was originally published by Don Knoll in 1962. Blind took over the publication and for five years published both dialogue and life prints. In the fall of 1995, the contents of the two magazines were merged to become dialogue. Although we no longer publish dialogue, our mission remains the same to support blind and visually impaired people through referrals to resources and social activities. We've developed business cards, which we have handed out at local doctor's offices and other places as appropriate. We also have information on the cover sheets, which we will be handing out to you today. Our mission has taken a different look today. We no longer have paid full-time staff, and we sorely miss our long-time executive director, Marja Byers, but we still have our same phone number and we receive various calls from folks who are seeking assistance. We host a weekly social gathering at various locations in the Salem area. Blind Skills also hosts a monthly low vision life skills group at our local senior center where we invite guest speakers or just get together to discuss our lives as visually impaired people. And now I'll turn this over to board member Christy Jalaker. Thank you. Thanks, Elizabeth. Um, so Elizabeth gave the history, a little bit of the history there. And I'd like to just talk about as a board member, what we're doing, uh, what we're thinking about. You know, we were affected by the COVID and the shutdown just as so many other organizations were. And as you said, we no longer have our office or our staff, our full-time staff members that we had. But we do feel that we have a place in the community kind of filling in perhaps the cracks from OCD 
and ACB. We have all these acronyms, right? So uh, we have evolved primarily into a social event uh, uh, organization for people. And it's been really quite popular. We go to coffee uh, and we go out to various restaurants, locally owned restaurants, and we have a really faithful group of folks that come just about every Wednesday. So that's been very successful for us. Uh, the board, however, has discussed, oh, I should say too, that we, we network, we're a networking organization, we still have our phone, and so I have the phone right now, and I have referred to uh, Talking Books, I have referred to the PUC program, which is called TDAP, T-D-A-P, where blind and visually impaired, and I think other um, physically impaired folks can get equipment, phones, um, iPads, uh, various other kinds of equipment to help them in their homes and their daily lives. I referred there. Uh, I got a call from an organization that was helping the homeless folks and there was a blind person living in a tent who needed a cane. However, I think he needed more than that. So I sent them to, to the commission. So uh, we still fulfill a function. One of the things we are looking at, however, is that we have some very good articles Thank you. Uh, from Dialogue over the years that it's been published, uh, some very wonderful articles. Um, and we would like to distribute them and disseminate that information if we could. But, you know, being the 21st century, we think uh, streaming, podcasting is the way to go. However, on our board, there's not one of us who know how to do that. <laughs> so we're kind of in this uh, area where uh, we're just trying to cast out there and see if there would be anybody that would help us well, actually, take over the whole idea of podcasting, marketing, distributing, whatever is needed in that area to kind of bring these uh, articles that we have out to the public. So many people, when we discontinued dialogue, we got uh, we got a letter from Africa, uh, a blind man from Africa asking, where's dialogue? You know, I want to see it. And so uh, we're thinking that podcasting would be the way to go. So if anybody knows of anybody that would really uh, want to put their heart and soul into that, that's thing, we really So that's where we are. And that's what we're doing right now. And it's not even a question for me or. And the, the cards that were just passed out were those for still? Yes. Okay, perfect. Those were our business cards, and uh, they're cool. <laughs> and uh, if anybody wants to call the village, anybody wants to call the card, just let us know. We do have more. Okay. And okay, who? Yes, there are questions. Yes, there are questions. Likely. Oh, happy gift. Happy gift. I sorry, flying skills. That the same organization that brought out the magazine life prints. Yeah, yeah. Big group. Yeah, I kind of bit there have a P that column. I remember those over there. Yeah. Are they still they're not doing life prints anymore, right? No, we do not publish any, any magazine. magazine. No. But the good thing about starting a podcast 
Yes, correct. Yeah. Do that. Okay. Any other questions or anything virtual? Uh, Nancy, do we have any hands in virtual? I keep forgetting to ask you. I take it that's a no or I, I we do not have any hands raised. Any other questions in the room? We'll take one more. No. No. All right. Thank you so much. I'm glad there's a whole update and you guys are still alive and going. Yay. <laughs> that Amy and her colleagues have been uh, working on, and we'd love to talk to you today about, about those projects. Thanks so much, Kate. Um, I also wanted to share with you, I brought a couple of things with me today. Uh, I have a 52-inch cane that is called a C-me cane, S-E-E, C-me cane. It was designed by someone who is deaf-blind, in San Diego, California, his name is Kelvin Crosby. So he's a deafblind entrepreneur who talked about how in his experiences um, in travel in the community, he has been he's been hit by a car uh, three times. Um, but Kelvin is a resilient fellow, and he's worked at the San Diego Center for the Blind as well as um, now in his own business. 
And this cane lights up. It looks kind of like a lightsaber. It's got cool. a rocker um, switch on it. It, it has a USB uh, port for charging. And Kelvin was wanting to get some feedback on it. So I've worked with Kelvin since he was 19 years old and been a friend to him. This cane, um, it can uh, adapt and take any tips at the bottom that Ambutech produces. So if you like Ambutech tips or cane, they, uh, the cane can, can handle that. But he's testing it. So it's not in its final stage, but there's a little, um, I can share his website with Carrie so that it can get out to all of you. Um, and I'm just going to pass this cane around for you guys to check out. And if anybody wants to use it on the walk, one of my students is actually, yes. I, I like it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. People can use it on the walk. Um, Helen actually sent one of the canes up to Alaska, where I have some students um, that are interning up in Alaska and some colleagues in Alaska. And they think of it as a good winter cane. A good winter cane for the darkness. Again, um, it may not be a cane like that you would want to use all the time. You might have to check out its weight and balance, but I know he's still um, field testing it. So any feedback that you'd like to give to him, it actually does support um, a deafblind entrepreneur who's designed my cane. Yeah. And it's a 52-inch cane. This is the one he was able to send. So folks are test driving that, so we can double tap. And also, I don't know if Abby would like to help pass out what we have here from uh, the American Printing House for the Blind. We also have um, some bandanas. We have a bright pink bandana and a bright yellow bandana. And I think we have enough for everyone, but... If you would like that, they look really cute on kiddos. They look really cute on guide dogs. So, I need one for my children. A little gift from the American Printing House. I've got a question. Yeah, it's Mary Lee. Where are you? I can't tell by the audience. You're everywhere. So, so, Mary Lee, I'm at the head table and she is to my left. Okay, great. Right. Thank you. I just want to make sure I was being polite. I said that. Oh, Mary Lee, you are you are a beacon to to our program and a beacon to me. So thank you so much for having us today. Um, so I have some slides also, Kate and I do that we will send to Carrie. These are fully accessible PowerPoint slides. So if there's anything that we're referring to that you'd like to review later or have more details about, I know that we are to end at 1225 uh, so that we have enough time for lunch. It's also always a little bit dangerous to be the person that's speaking before lunch. You know, there, there could be some negative blowback if we keep you from, from a meal. Um, what you may not know about Portland State University is that it is also home to the National Institute for Transportation Communities, which is one of seven funded centers from the U.S. Department of Transportation. Um, those centers play a special role in research and dissemination related to transportation. It is not specifically related to accessibility. 
And I know that folks are enjoying the CME game. So, but can everyone else hear okay? Yeah. No. Okay. So, if, if people could try to be quiet as you pass around the CME cane, and let's be respectful to our speaker, please. Thank you. Well, I also want to make sure that folks that are hard of hearing can hear. So, you, you can also explore the CME cane at lunch and on our walk. Kate and I are going to be hanging out with you guys. Um, one of our part, well, going back to the National Institute for Transportation Communities, which is funded by the U.S. Department of Transportation. They don't usually fund projects, research projects related to accessibility. So we were really pleased to be able to receive a couple of grants from them that actually helped help support this work. One thing about the grants though, is that they also require a match. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, like that some funders yeah. for the grant, they will have you have a match. Well, the match amount for the NIPSI grants is 150%. That's a really high match. So we would not have been able to do this work if we had not had partners. Um, and one of our key partners was the American Printing House for the Blind. So the American Printing House for the Blind also led some work on accessible cities, and they partnered really closely with the American Council of the Blind to um, conduct this survey and interview process with over 449 folks from around the country. Um, other supporters were NFB and KNFB and KCB. There were 449 in-person surveys and 522 online surveys. And it may not surprise you that folks said the biggest challenges in the cities where they lived, regardless of location, was transportation. So, yeah, you're living the life, you're walking the walk, right? And transportation is, is challenging. So APH stepped up and said, hey, this sounds like something that we need to be involved in. We will support you, Portland State, uh, and be a match partner for you. Um, one of the things we want to talk to you about today is a tool that you may not have heard very much about. Um, it's not really well known in orientation and mobility. It's called the University of California, Santa Barbara, sense of direction scale. So it's kind of a mouthful. But it was a, a scale that was designed at UC Santa Barbara to measure uh, folks' self-perception of their sense of direction, okay? And it's been used not widely in orientation and mobility. It's been used with drivers and other pedestrians. Um, what's been interesting is that there was a blind professor at UC Santa Barbara. Some of you may know him or have known him, and I believe he has passed away now. Reg Gollage, Dr. Reg Gollage, he's mentioned in some of our orientation and mobility textbooks. But what's interesting about that is um, the, the professor that I partnered with to do this research, Dr. Martin Slobodzinski, was trained by Dr. Gollage. So um, Dr. Gollage was involved in the California, UC Santa Barbara sense of direction scale and did use that scale with blind travelers, okay? 
I'm going to tell you a story that takes place in four short chapters. Okay, we're going to break this down into four little chunks. We started this investigation in 2018, and it's continued through 2022. We engaged with the community uh, first in doing focus groups with travelers who identified as blind, deaf, blind, or visually impaired. We also engaged with orientation and mobility specialists. So that's a part of what I'll, I'll share with you. The second part of, of what I'll share with you is a case study where we uh, conducted a case study and ended up being a case study because of the pandemic, where we were not allowed to do in-person research in 2020, March of 2020, that shut down. So we were only able to recruit one participant in time. But then um, I want to share with you that we did scale this study up to 30 participants, uh, and we'll talk to you about what, what we did together with the participants. One of the things about the UC Santa Barbara Gale that I just wanted to share, and maybe you could do a little bit of mental self-assessment, okay? Um, or you could respond verbally if you felt comfortable. The UC Santa Barbara Scale asks people to rank themselves to self-report how they navigate. And what's been found is it's pretty accurate that people actually do navigate the way that they perceive they navigate, which is part of what was interesting. So one of the questions on the UC Santa Barbara scale is, and you rank seven being high and one being very low, okay? So three and four in the middle, well, really four in the middle. Uh, so along that scale, the first question is, I'm very good at giving directions. So how would you write yourself for that? You don't have to answer out loud. Yes, I can. Would you like to check out the king? Yeah. So folks answered in, in different ways. Okay, it's six. We've got a six in the audience. All right. A one. Okay. Being good and honest, that's, that's not a problem. Another question that came up out of this yeah. 20 question survey that we thought was interesting is I don't have a very good mental map of my environment. So if you agree with a don't, I don't have, you would rank that seven. See, so it's kind of a, a double negative there if you agree with that. But, but if you disagree with that, you would rank that a one or a two. Okay. I don't have a very good mental map of my environment. Here's one that I might not score very well on. I can usually remember a new route after I've traveled it only once. Okay, so some folks say, yes, I'm pretty skilled at that. And I believe you. I do not usually remember a route the first time I've traveled it, to be honest with you. So we use this scale to solicit responses from those who participated with us. Um, it was also a way to gather data about what not only people said, but using some quantitative data on, on their own self-perceptions. And for the sake of time, I'm gonna share all of these slides with Carrie to post when, however you'd like to carry or, or disseminate. And as I said, they 
we did make them accessible so folks with screen readers should not have a problem, and we did actually test that. Yeah. Um, absolutely, absolutely. So you can look back at some of the slides as we go a little a little quickly through them. One of the first things that we needed to do, Dr. Spokajenski and I, uh, we worked with our graduate students to conduct a systematic review of the literature, but also to look in the marketplace about what kinds of wayfinding apps exist. And this was, we started this in 2018. Now, what would you suppose? Would you suppose that the landscape of wayfinding apps that we found in 2018 would be the same as the wayfinding apps we would find today? No. no. Right. You guys are an old, you're an old hand at this, right? That's a, that's a joke. You could have told me that, right? So it, you're absolutely right. We categorized these wayfinding apps at that time according to cost according to uh, the operating system that they functioned on, according to whether they needed additional hardware, and if they were useful in indoor navigation as well as outdoor navigation. And we know that indoor navigation is really a frontier. And even in this study, from when we began, when we first began looking at wayfinding, we were using Indoor Explorer which is connected to Nearby Explorer. Have either, has anyone in this room used Nearby Explorer? Okay, Nearby. So the pilot, yep, thank you. Um, so the pilot on Nearby Explorer that led to Indoor Explorer used Beacon technology. Okay, so are some of you familiar with, with Beacons? So the physical beacons were put up almost like signposts in space, in buildings. We mapped our library first, well, our library, the librarians were very cool to work with, very welcoming. Um, but we also mapped our building Smith Student Union Building, which some of you who attended PSU know that building well. We also mapped a new building called Paragors, and those beacons attached not only to the building, they digitally were mapped in OpenStreetMap. Okay. So that was the first part of our study. Do you think that in 2022, those beacons were as relevant as when we first started? Well, actually, actually, no. They, they may function in terms of giving information, but Technology has evolved since then, and it's even continuing to evolve with LIDAR scanning. So since our, over the, over the course of our multi-year study, we investigated the use of these beacons with indoor explorer and traveling. And later we investigated the use of a tool called Good Maps which is actually the outgrowth of those beacons. So everything has been leading to something, something else. Um, I'm just looking at the time and wanting to make sure we have enough time. So I'm going to look at Kate's up to, to poke me, to kick me under the table. <laughs> That's right. If I say, oh, I don't know why. 
Um, with our focus groups, we talk to folks and some of this won't, won't surprise you. Um, the results from our focus groups is when we ask people what they found useful and how they used their maps uh, or wayfinding apps, blind consumers, blind and visually impaired consumers said that they often use Line Square, Trend Planner, Be My Eyes, Move It, okay, which is another tool, Move It, Apple Maps, Google Maps, Theory, Lyft, or Uber. They use that app for Soundscape. Yeah. Okay, or the PDX Bus app. It was PDX Bus app. The devices that were most often used were iPhone, uh, and sometimes with headphones or with phone conducting uh, headphones. iPads were often used. That was an interesting finding. Uh, the software that was mostly used was ZoomText and JAWS. Okay. Oh, and here comes here comes the CBK. Okay. Well, I will <laughs> I will definitely connect you with Kelvin, the, the creator. Thank you so much. Well, actually, I, I would really like to just share the whole presentation with you. There are actually more apps than what I'm listing. I'm listing the top ones that were mentioned in the focus group. But I, I promise you, I'm happy to give you my email and send you any more information that we got from our study. I promise it. And, and when he, Dr. Parker shares that information, we'll send it out on the email list. For both the convention attendees and our general. Okay. No, thank you. Thank you. We also talked to consumers who identified as deafblind. This also, this study took place in multiple cities, not just in one city. Deafblind consumers mentioned some different uh, apps than the, the folks who identified as blind or visually impaired. They also mentioned seeing AI, Apple Maps. AT&T, Google Earth, Trip Planner, an app called One Bus Away, okay, that may have given you some information about their location, uh, iMove, an app called iMove, okay. So the positive things that came out of this app, we also talked to orientation and mobility specialists about what they saw was useful to their consumers or the students. But all of, all of the folks that we talked to said that the real benefit of wayfinding apps, despite their drawbacks, is increased access to environmental knowledge and literacy, okay? And support during dynamic travel tasks or in the moment. Increased support in planning routes ahead of time. The challenges will not surprise you. Um, the challenges that were mentioned were accessing a small screen for those who have low vision, manipulating features on the phone. So hand dexterity was some of the, the features on the phone, dropped signals, unreliability, 
and inability to customize some of the features to meet their needs, that these apps were sometimes not very adaptable. What blind and visually impaired uh, travelers told us is that they wish they had what they call a killer navigation app. <laughs> kind of like one app to rule all the apps, right? Instead of multiple, multiple, multiple apps, why can't we have one app that does all of these things? Uh, because of the learning curve, right? Um, some folks wanted alternative interfaces. They wanted spatial interfaces that would offer some tactile feedback, not simply audio. Uh, <laughs> Speaking of perhaps and unreliability, <laughs> she wanted to get in on the app. She heard I was talking about it. Um, folks wanted to learn around to reduce their stress. They wanted improved coverage in rural areas. And they wanted more empathy and compassion from app designers. One of the things that blind and visually impaired uh, travelers told us loud and clear was that they wanted app designers to actually put on a blindfold and go yeah. outside and walk and, and see how easy it is to navigate or use the information in their app. For those that are deafblind, they mentioned wanting um, an easier interface with Braille, with refreshable Braille. They wanted more vibratory features with the app. And they wanted the ability to translate sound um, in the environment, like sirens or alarms, into information so that they would not be startled or surprised when that came up. One of the, the social aspects that came out of our conversations is, and this was really positive about apps, because we know that travel is not just an activity from getting from point A to point B. It's often a, a social experience, right, with our friends and family going places that we want to go. Um, so some folks said to us, I often compare apps with my brother. I recommend apps to my friend. When I'm with my hard of hearing partner, I turn up the volume and let her use that feature. My friend was driving the wrong way and I could advise her. <laughs> Another person said, I take the lead and navigate with my friends using GPS. I can give my friends directions and recommend restaurants near us. And it makes me seem more independent with my friends and family. So that, that was the positive social aspects of the app use. I'm going to summarize rather quickly the actual testing that we used on our campus at PSU. We engaged, as I mentioned to you, with a 32-year-old gentleman who identified as deafblind in three routes on our campus at PSU. So in addition to doing the focus groups, this is the second chapter where we really worked with, with someone on a travel tab. And we compared the use of the technology, the beacon technology, with written directions and with a tactile map. And we had three different conditions that he chose to travel with. 
Which one do you think was the fastest? I'm going to let you guys decide. Technology, written directions, or tactile map? Written directions. Okay. So a couple of those who said tactile map, that is right. But in addition, he said the tactile map, that he was the fastest using the tactile map. He made the fewest number of errors, which the only reason we didn't find errors would be going way too far off the, the selected route. Um, and he asked less questions using the tactile um, map. Well, actually, no, he asked the same amount of questions using the tactile map as the technology. One of the things that frustrated him with the technology, now mind you, this was Indoor Explorer. This is the technology with the beacons, okay? So the beacons are only really good for almost like a sign. They're giving information when you get close to a specific area. And sometimes the beacons were not um, strong enough to be picked up because of the configuration of the room or the walls. So we engaged with him and, and he said that his expectations were really much higher for the technology. And that's why he was disappointed in its use. So one of the things we talked to uh, another expert about, we had an expert who was an orientation and mobility specialist who gave us, who also had experienced visual impairment, who gave us some good advice. They found that the wayfinding directions that we were using were far too complex. That remembering all of those steps on a route were far too overwhelming. So they encouraged us when we scaled the study, which is our next chapter where we engaged with 30 individuals to eliminate the use of the written directions and only compare the new technology which is the good maps, which paired with Google Maps or Google Earth, or it pairs with Apple Maps very well for outdoor navigation to compare that condition with the use of a tactile map. Okay, now I'm going to hand it over to Kate, who's going to talk about the next phase of the study. Hi, everybody. So this is where I stepped in to help out with Amy and her team as we went from one participant in the case study to uh, 30 participants. So once COVID restrictions started to lift, we were able to really dive in to this research and we were really excited about where it was going with um, Good Maps being, a, it sounds like a, an app that a lot of people were newer to. And we would bring people in and we would teach them how we'd have a kind of like a practice route for them to learn on so that we made sure they they had a good sense of how to use the app before we sent them out to actually um, test it and, and see how, how they use it on campus. And overall, it seemed, can you still hear me? There we go. Overall, it seemed like uh, People enjoy using Good Maps if you haven't tried it out. Um, it works outdoors and it works at some locations indoors, including Portland State and some buildings. And the other condition we looked at, as you mentioned, we um, 
we let go of the written directions and we did include tactile maps. So what we did was uh, brought me, brought people to campus, gave them a uh, practice run with good maps and with that tactile map, and then gave them um, a random route out of three options that we had that were all fairly similar to each other and saw how, you know, what they, what their experience was like and measured um, different ways of, of how they traveled and experienced those. After the um, actual route, we sat down with everybody and had focus groups where we asked them, what, do you, what did you think about that experience? And tell us what else you have, what other feelings you have about tactile maps and technology like good maps. And so the participants, just so you have an understanding of who was involved, we had 21 who were adolescents between the age of 14 and 18, and seven between the ages of 19 and 50. Uh, like I mentioned, we had a mix of kind of numbers and measuring how long it took people to get places, the number of errors they made, just like Amy described with the case study. And then we also asked them, like, just tell us about what, what did you think about that? What did you like? What did you didn't? What did you, what did you not like? And where do you think this could go? Um, and, and so what we found was uh, this, not only did we, you know, gain some valuable information from everybody, but it, it especially when we got folks to the focus group, it was a wonderful conversation and um, getting people together and talking about how we can move forward with this kind of technology and understanding what's actually helpful for people was um, a really meaningful experience for folks. There were several environmental factors that impacted our research and this is just how things are sometimes when you know you can measure things in a laboratory but the fact of the matter is you guys are out in the real world we're out using these apps and sometimes especially here in Oregon we have tons of rain and it's 40 degrees and your fingers are numb and things aren't going so hot right or gosh that that certain area at PSU is so frustrating because why did they design it that way so whether um, with our tactile maps at times, you know, had some limitations, like I mentioned, or even with, with phones, right? Phones get wet. And um, sometimes it's hard to hear when the cars are really loud, you know, rushing by and you can hardly hear what it's trying to tell you. Um, the other factor is kind of the built environment and how just uh, the campus that we were on and really any place that you are using these apps affect your experience. Um, the other thing is the natural environment, just all the aspects of, of life going on around you. Okay. Um, social environment, you know, at PSU, sometimes it's passing hour and there are tons of people around and, you know, all, all sorts of things going on. Other times it's so quiet and you aren't, you, you happen to be in the park blocks and there's not much traffic. Um, so... Let's see. Uh, I had some observations in my experience joining in uh, with this research. Of course, Amy has been working on this for a long time, and I um, was lucky enough to kind of get a really short, immersive experience where I was able to take some um, really meaningful things away um, in doing my master's thesis um, with, with this team. So something I took away from this was 
the importance of really thoughtful design, especially in regards to tactile maps. Um, as, as Amy mentioned, um, it was maybe surprising to some, but that um, the tactile maps were actually a pretty reliable source of information for people to use um, to preview the route, but also they could check in on it um, during and keep checking in with, with information on there. Um, the thing that is interesting is, as you guys probably know, a lot of tactile maps are made by people who are sighted, and it might be a base off of um, an area, and there are features on there that might not be meaningful features, and it's TMI, right? There are things on there that are like, why is, why is that on there? That is not helpful. And there could be things included, such as maybe kind of I'll describe it as like a sensory landmark um, or cue that you might come across. And so I think the thing there is, I, I have noticed that um, inclusion of people who are blind and visually impaired in creating tactile maps is so important. Like what are all the things that you take in from your environment and what pieces could we include on these maps to make them more helpful? Uh, some of those components of weather, like I mentioned, uh, and just being out in the real world, walking around, the durability of any of these wayfinding tools, um, the portability and the size. Um, a lot of you are traveling around with one hand occupied uh, a harness handle or a cane, or you know, you're holding your coffee and you have your phone and all the things. We never have enough hands. So considering um, all those aspects. Uh, and another piece that I think was uh, brought out, especially in those focus groups, um, was the considering how talking to people around you was still such um, an important uh, source of information for a lot of people. You have your cane or your dog, and you have one of these other um, sources of uh, wayfinding and information about your environment, but so many of our participants just said, man, if I, I just didn't know or I wasn't quite sure, I just asked. And sometimes that's really frustrating based on the feedback that you get from people. Um, but it was it was kind of part of part of the experience for a lot of folks. And the very last thing that I just wanted to mention was um, and something that I'm taking away from my experience in this um, OM program is how absolutely important independent travel is um, to people's quality of life and getting out and engaging um, in the world and, and the things that they want to be involved in. Um, so that's why I just was so grateful to be a part of this research and, um, and even moving forward and seeing where all this technology can go and maybe having one really good app someday. <laughs> Okay, um, this is Amy again, and to sum up, and we hope there's some time for questions also or comments on the research that we've been doing. Um, our preliminary findings is going back to those 30 participants who were so kind to join us. One of the things that we found, and this was again somewhat incidental, was that most said this, this was a valuable experience just even testing these um, conditions out and having the opportunity to share with others was a valuable experience. Some folks who were teachers or for the younger students who were parents who actually came, they saw more potential 
for their young adult to travel, which was exciting and important for that next phase of life. Now, who would you think was faster? Was it the kids or was it the adults? The kids. Okay, you nailed it. Yes, those kids were pretty fast, pretty motivated to move, pretty motivated to find where they are. How was? Were they more accurate? <laughs> so the kids were not more accurate locally than the adults. They were not more accurate. How about this UC Santa Barbara sense of direction scale? Who had a higher sense of direction? The adults did. Absolutely nailed it. Right. So the adults expressed more confidence more use of landmarks, more use of cardinal directions. And that just comes from life experience, right? That may not surprise us. And so the other takeaway for us is that speed isn't the only factor in wayfinding. You know, sometimes slowing down or taking the slower path or considering your other factors from your lived experience is really important. Uh, whereas the young adults were, were not that confident in, in their use of space. So sometimes people say, will O&M exist in the future? Because maybe, you know, maybe we'll just all use guiding robots. Or there's um, specialized dogs who are part robot, part dog. No, I'm just kidding. We, we, we don't believe that O&M will become obsolete, and I'll, I'll tell you a really interesting vignette from this. This was another surprise, and this is our final chapter before we take some questions and, and turn it over to you. Um, one person who happened to join us in December when we took our first, uh, when we were allowed to, by the university, open it up for face-to-face -face research again, also was able to join us later that spring. And it was interesting because they thought that it was an invitation to a different study, but it was actually the same study. But what was interesting about this participation is it became an opportunity for us because we saw and he saw the first round of participation and the difference in the second round of participation. And do you know what he said? He said that O&M really had helped make the difference for him in confidence in navigating around. Because just like in the pandemic with, with you all, O&M had been shut down. And he had started in that spring to resume O&M. And he said, instead of it replacing these other tools, it made using these other tools more effective. His performance went up on all the routes. His score on the UC Santa Barbara scale went up. And he attributed that, not me, not the biased O&M instructor at a university, right? I do have biases, right? He was the one who said the O&M is what made the difference in him having confidence to use the wayfinding app and to use the map. So that was that was pretty cool for us. 
We felt like this work increased um, the voice of the community, which we felt was really important, which is why it is important to publish and to share at conferences what the community told us about wayfinding. We do engage in interdisciplinary engagement at Portland State through conferences like Mobility Matters. We're hoping to have an online conference March the 10th, um, and we would we would welcome the community to join us. We're hoping that David Bouchard will be one of our um, keynote speakers at the event, who works at TriMet and who uses wayfinding tools all the time. We think that participatory design, as Kate was mentioning, it's it sounds simple for folks who work in technology to go out and to design all of these apps. But if they haven't partnered with the community, they can make some really costly mistakes. So participatory design, partnership with ACB, partnership with NFB, partnership with the community, with Oregon Commission for the Blind is absolutely essential. And even if it slows people down in the design process, it's a really important um, step. And the, the last slide is it, it's going to take all of us. It's going to take all of us. Um, someone here at the conference already said, maybe Stacia talked about the role of advocacy. It's going to take all of us working together to make public spaces more accessible. Um, and Portland State wants to be a partner to you with our, our fabulous uh, graduate students like Kate, who are going to go out and, and change the world and partner with the community. Um, but we're we're eager to do that with you as an interdisciplinary team. So, what questions or comments do you have? And I can actually run the mic. I don't I don't see Miss Abby, but <laughs> I need to move and walk. I would like to make a, a comment. Your wonderful graduates a few years ago, Kelly Gill. Graduates. Yes. yes, she works in Coos Bay. When I got my job last February at the community college, she came, volunteered her time, and helped me learn. And she made my, me a tactile map because there's so many buildings. And when I attended the college in the mid 90s, it was about a third of the size because of all the new buildings. And so, you know, having that um, expert with the OM, you know, could I have used friends and stuff to try to figure out? Yeah, but having that person with all that OM knowledge and background was very helpful. Um, working and in, going into a new position and you know, so I will I will tell Kelly you said that. That's so nice. I'm gonna go to this man, a gentleman, a Joshua. Hi, um, I have a question that. I was thinking about recently, um, me and my wife, we went to YouTube, I think, and that sort of thing, into open spaces. Now, did you have an address the issue of not being on the street network and off the grid? How did you have to handle that? Like, for example, on a campus, um, from where I went to Chicago, they were in the patch, or sidewalks. How did you address that? Um, well, the focus of our study, because whenever you do a study, you have to be very explicit about what you're going to do, was on a, on a university campus, and it's partially because of the funding that we received, but I, I have 
um, know folks who are into hiking and, and nature, and maybe even some folks in this room can make comments on that about tools that they used when they're off the grid. I haven't seen them recently, but a good old fashioned grill compass can be really helpful as well as a map ahead of time, like pre-planning your trip and um, and knowing knowing the terrain. Uh, there's also been a lot of work with national parks that's being done uh, with ACB. By the way, ACB is a big partner in this project called Uni Description, where national parks are being audio described. And I know that that is, um, that's a civil right, you know, to, to access our national treasures uh, that ACB feels very passionate about, but they're working with a researcher and several national parks are now described. And I think there's an interest at national parks to even provide more tactile maps so that when you are off the grid or accessible digital maps that you can use to access some of the trails. I'm going to give it to Darian. I saw your hand. And I will say, Monica Butler's probably in the room, but I know Teresa Christian does a lot of the Zoom calls the whole foundation does. That would be a good get a guest speaker on, you know, traveling and trails and stuff like that. Good idea. Yay. So um, I just want to give a shout out to Amy because she has joined the pedestrian action, pedestrian safety action coalition. And um, she's uh, she came on a walk with some of our student, her students um, when we could do a walk in person a few years ago. And she was really instrumental this year in because the Department of Transportation, which is in our report that you probably don't see, but the board got, um, they are doing ads on Instagram and Facebook this year every day. And they're featuring graphics with text about how we navigate and cautioning drivers to be careful. And they say things like, if you see me with this white cane, I can't see you. And hockey doesn't help. And things like that. And Amy was able to that the um, graphics were not quite um, specifically accurate. And so we really, because we couldn't see them, we just had to rely on the person's description. So she is a real asset to us. Thank you. Great, thank you. Do we have any virtual Zoom attendees with their raised hands for questions? Not at this time. Okay, thank you. Any others in the room? Darian, that's that's really, really kind of you. Thank you so much for saying that. I learned so much from you and Mary Lee. I, I do I do see at the far table here next to Jean Marie and Luther. Hi, it's Luther. Uh, I have a couple of comments and a couple of questions. First of all, it seems like your study is on very competitive routes. Yeah, to start somewhere, I understand that, and kudos for that. Um, your study, where you have 21 adolescents, I think it was huge in the study, there are a lot of people, older people, where people are going to be, and 
so much Luther every I, I totally agree with you every study has limitations studies by nature have to be contextualized to be approved um, for research purposes but I did appreciate um, that we did use the natural environment as Kate was talking about this was we didn't do this in a laboratory we did this on a campus and we actually Based those routes on things that preliminary folks had told us would be important, like specific routes to the library, specific routes on a college campus. So, and you're absolutely right. If sometimes when you when you recruit people to a study, you you struggle to get participants. You struggle to get participants even after the um, the pandemic. Some people were still not really comfortable getting out again. So. Definitely, if the study were replicated again, including more people of diverse ages, would be really essential. It is, and all studies have limitations. So I appreciate your comments. Thank, thank you. And um, Connie Sims would like to say something about advocacy. Thank you, Carrie. Thank you, Amy. Um, it's a wonderful presentation. Coming from South Dakota and pedestrian. Um, is huge and advocacy with transportation. And um, I'm on the city pedestrian committee here in, in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. But Owen M is can only do so much, you know, and their study I think is awesome. I, I really applaud you guys. But at the same time, it's up to each and every one of us to be an advocate. Um, to get to know city officials to address um, the issues with stumps or cracks in the sidewalks or the curb cuts. You know, I could share a story um, and I may later tonight, but I took a planner on a walk on one of my regular routes and I live in the largest city in South Dakota. And I had challenged the committee and this planner and the engineers to travel with me blindfolded on just one of my routes, just to a grocery store in that area. And it's like a little over a mile. And I live in the center of town. He did it. I gave him a little bit of instruction. He, I guided him a little bit. Otherwise he walked, it was a 45 minute walk. That it took him, but we came across 17 issues in that short of a time. He was amazed because I live by a university, 
and there was construction going on. And he was so scared because all of these big equipment was all around and he had no idea where the equipment was. They were far away, but to him, they were right there. And he had no idea. He, I let him get lost in the driveway. I let him go on onto, go onto a road. I stopped him before he got onto the road. But I bought, let him walk into a treatment. <laughs> you know, and it's it, it a, a big runner. He rides bike all the time. And he said, running into a treatment was totally different for him walking than to run or bike. And I said, my husband wears a hat all the time. He's totally blind. And I said, he always has a baseball hat on, just so he doesn't get his eyes to protect him. And he's like, oh, wow, that makes sense. You know, and then I took him to um, a grocery store. And he said, okay, now you try to go into this grocery store, into the parking lot. And believe the it was like, wow. You know, so then he emailed me the next day and he thanked me. And he said, I came back and I looked at all of our plans and I reread all of the stuff with a totally different viewpoint. And he said, thank you so much for the experience. He has challenged other engineers now, other planners. We talked about it, but he really made a difference. So I really applaud going out. And but I applaud that the planner, and that's what we all have to do is we have to challenge and we all have to be advocates. And it's not that I forced him, I challenged him. It took a long time, but it starts one step at a time and one person at a time. And the more that we can all work together, the better it will be. Thank you. Just a thing, I have in mind, and it's actually Jean Marie's turn. Thank you so much for that comment. But I also wanted to say, I think one of the benefits of NITSI funding this, the transportation, the U.S. Department of Transportation, is that we have to submit reports to them. And this, this goes out through their network. So it is people who have never considered people with disabilities or people who are blind. It does go out to planners. But exactly what you're talking about is the kind of um, initiatives that have to take place for changes to occur. And uh, okay, just before we have Jean Marie, so ACB does have, um, and it's for OMs, and we have an OM, um, Rizzi, um, Daisy um, is one of our gals that helps with it. But, ACB has pedestrian handbook, and um, I would recommend any of you go on and, and use those as a help to our guidance. But it's great for OM, but the OM, we have OM instructors who are well known and nationally help do those handbook. So I just wanted to add that, but that that's how much important the OM instructors are, but the designs. Okay, thank you. And one more question. One second. 
Sister Jean Marie, and it's a comment that has absolutely nothing to do with O&M, but I want to tell people the women's bathroom, if you think the paper towels are empty, they're not. What? You just have to put your finger into the thing and twist twist it, and the paper towels will come out. Okay, thank you. And um, so thank you, Amy, and Kate. There are a couple of people that have their, their hands up and they're, they're standing. I don't know, Carrie, if we can take another comment. One more, because I know our caterers have our lunches about ready. Okay, I am Kim. And I just wanted to say um, uh, that, yes, uh, uh, mobility is very important. I mean, I have the newest Apple Watch Ultra, but when uh, my husband and I were traveling yesterday, or the other day, we were in construction, and yeah, there was a barrier, and we had to travel in the street. It was really weird, but um, you know, what the GPS that saved us, it was like a compass on the line. Mm -hmm. Okay, we need to go northeast and turn north to the right and go, you know, it's Magic yeah, there's a compass there's on the Apple Watch. You can't get around with a cane. So, you good thank you for your comment. No so, thank you very much, Caden, Amy. Um, so, we're, we've got two things to do before lunch. I want everybody to know you've got in your packet your lunch ticket. It had one full punch, is that correct, Cassie? The lunch is the front one, and then on the top left corner of it, it's going to have a one whole punch. One whole punch. It should be the top one of the two stapled together. We have two tickets. And Susan said there's four packets that haven't been claimed. Okay, there are some packets not claimed, so if you don't have your lunch ticket, you might need to find um, somebody, Susan or Brooke, at the Susan Cole or Brooke at the registration table. So if you put those tickets in front of you on the table, then your lunch will be there shortly at 1230. But right now we need to do a second reading of the nominations. James? Hey, Steve. Will you run this to James? No, you do not need to leave the room. Our lunches are boxed lunches that they will be coming in to serve. All right, Madam Chair. So the names put forward to the nominating committee are in district plan. Tomorrow, before you vote, you will have the opportunity to nominate So, thank you. James. And if we can still have people try to be quiet so we get the second reading of the bylaw changes, John Hamill. Bring me a mic. All righty, this is the bylaw relating to um, selecting our convention site two years in advance. So I've got to find that right. This will be that bylaw. Okay. At the October annual meeting, set the date, time, and place of its annual meeting two years in advance. Should the membership fail to schedule this event, the executive board shall determine the date. Time and place of the meeting. There you go. Over to, uh, Over to Leonard. Okay. Yes, like that. Uh, thank you. All right. Okay. Bylaw 11 qualifications of executive board. All members 
of the executive board shall be Oregon residents age 18 or older have been a member of a chapter for at least 360 days prior to the convention and be a member in good standing of ACB of Oregon. President, first vice president, secretary, and district reps shall be legally blind. Secretary and treasurer may be legally blind or sighted. Only thing we did there is took out local, right? Local chapters. Uh, Bylaw 17 is uh, duties of the secretary. It's the last section that we changed, but I'll read the whole thing. Secretary shall provide notice of and shall attend all meetings of the executive board and membership. Keep true and accurate records of the proceedings. Send draft minutes to all executive board members and chapter presidents by email within 30 days uh, following the meeting. Provide draft minutes to the stylus for publication. And this is the part we added. Secretary shall immediately record into the constitution and bylaws amendments adapted by the membership and submitted submit those changes to the stylus for publication. Formation of chapters, bylaw five. We uh, want to omit that, which is a formation of electronic media chapters and replace it with bylaw five, special interest statewide affiliates. Special interest chapters may be uh, formed by following the guidelines of these bylaws to special interest chapter members who are in good standing may hold office of president, first vice president, second vice president, secretary and treasurer on the executive board. Three, one member in good standing from a special interest chapter would be elected by the membership to represent all special interest chapters as district four on the executive board. All right, thank you. Um, and remember there are raffle and 50-50 tickets that can be purchased during lunch. We will be offline in just a second. We are, we've been meeting in here at 1.30. I think our online stuff goes back in at 1.45 if it's all Pacific time. Next year. And uh, at 1.30, yeah, so we can you know, get everybody motivated to go out, especially those going on the walk. So, all right. So enjoy lunch, everybody. 